Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you on this Monday morning. A short week for some, of course, with the Easter coming up next weekend, but it's uh, such a busy Monday to review, and uh, when you're talking about some sports as opposed to others, it'll be better reviews than others. Uh, we'll do that uh, through Steve Devine, uh, of course, a former All Black and Blues Half Black. Um, he'll be a bit baffled, I would imagine, about that Blues performance. Hard to, uh, to really make uh, uh, too much of it, to be perfectly honest. The Chiefs are 6-0 and now. Crusaders uh, win again and uh, look to get, to, even with all those injuries, uh, look to get themselves back on track. Um, you know that uh, when they get to the end of the season, where they'll be, um, it's just a case of whether they can be challenged and whether the Chiefs can keep it going. That's the way it looks at the moment. 9.32, uh, according to uh, our sheet here anyway, we'll be looking uh, to talk to Peter McGlashan. Now, uh, Peter, of course, a former Black Cap, uh, now cricket commentator, also uh, part of a historic today on Māori commentary uh, for the Black Caps vs Sri Lanka T20 at Eden Park. It ended up in a super over. Man, I wonder how that uh, sounded in uh, Toreo. That would have been exciting. Um, Matt Hickey, Herald Sun Sport Social Media Editor. That's his title, and he was at Albert Park at the weekend, Matt, uh, looking at the Australian Grand Prix. So we'll uh, take a, a review of that. Panel with Mark Watson and Jamie Wall this morning. Uh, we'll have, uh, hopefully, some texts from uh, you people throughout the morning. Double eight, double three. What did you watch over the weekend? What was your highlight over the weekend? There was so much on, so much uh, activity from uh, motor racing uh, right through to rugby league last night. Let's say perhaps the best of the weekend till the last. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, what were your impressions there? Do you go to club rugby? Uh, did you bother? Um, 11.04, um, we've got uh, Vossi lined up at that point. He'll just finish his show on SEN in Sydney. Uh, busy weekend of commentary for Vossi, including... Uh, the Warriors game, so he'll have plenty to talk about there, I'm sure. We'll play uh, Stumped um, with Smithy at about 11.30 this morning um, and work our way towards midday when we'll hand over the reins to Safi. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, let's not beat about the bush here. The Warriors were the best show in town over the weekend, and they weren't even in town. They'll have had better, more valuable wins over their checkered years, but... None like that lately. Honestly, at 20-0 down in previous years, you just reach for the remote, don't you, and get ready for married at first sight. Not these days, because it seems Andrew Webster and this current crop he's banded together are a marriage themselves made in heaven, rugby league heaven. And now that they got out of that, surely it's time to pay the believers or at least become one. The resurrection of Sean Johnson is complete, stunning back-to-back performances. He's leading them around the park and they are following enthusiastically as they can. It must be so much fun for those who have continued to keep the faith to see this unfolding, and they did it all without Tohu Harris. And as once proud rugby union clubs are either merging to stay alive or at very best struggling to make up the numbers, much to the denial of those who would have us believe otherwise, as those club rooms become emptier and close earlier because the stalwarts are getting older, the other code is catching up and set for a dream run, it seems. Bring on those nights for a second dose and then the Cowboys at home. There'll be 20,000 plus around the back of yesterday's show. Uh, They'll roll out another jersey and the replicas will go berserk and C. George will continue to post those trademark dressing room celebrations. 
We scarcely hear from the front office these days because the showpiece is putting one on. That silence is the most beautiful sound of all. Radio, uh, let's uh, get stuck into um, the weekend of uh, Super Rugby, shall we? Steve Devine is uh, joining us now, former All Blacks and uh, Blues halfback. Um, we'll be talking uh, to Steve very shortly uh, about uh, what had unfolded uh, during the weekend. Uh, Moana Pacifica 17, Highlanders 45, Crusaders 25, Reds 12, Chiefs 20, Blues 13. Perhaps that was uh, the match of the round we were all looking forward to. Uh, Hurricanes 45, the Force 42, um, Drua 38, Rebels 28. I think that was uh, predictable. And uh, a real classic between the Brumbies and the Waratahs, 40 to 36 there. So they were the actual uh, results over the weekend. Uh, just still waiting to uh, make contact with uh, Steve um, because I really want to talk to him about this Blues performance against the Chiefs. So it certainly was the game I think we were um, really looking at. Extra well um, with 6 and 0, and the Blues, uh, well, are just battling along just outside the top four at the moment, but they're just looking for rhythm, it seems. Really looking for rhythm. Just uh, got the thumbs up for Steve, have we? Okay, Steve, uh, good morning to you, Steve Devine. Uh, let's start with uh, the game that everyone was uh, looking forward to. I think the Chiefs and the Blues. Chiefs getting up uh, 20 to 13. Um, great start for them, first of all, hasn't it, for the start of the season? Yeah, they're doing well. They're doing well. They're playing uh, pretty, pretty simple, clear, uncomplicated rugby, and that's uh, certainly showing showing benefits. They're um, they're going really well. Right. Okay. Uh, let's look at um, this performance uh, against the Blues. Was it a case of the Chiefs winning it, or the Blues not helping themselves? Um, now I think the Chiefs, the Chiefs, uh, they defended very well. You're right. Most most of the game was spent in their own in their own half. They defended very well, and that's probably what won in the game. Um, the Blues certainly had opportunities to win it, and um, they uh, weren't quite good enough. We've seen it a couple of times this year, where they they just haven't been quite, you know, quite ruthless enough to get to get it done. They've they've created the opportunities, just haven't been able to finish. What if what do you put that down to, Steve? Because this is a very very accomplished looking back line. Uh, who you would imagine would have those finishing qualities you're saying that are missing. What what has been the what has been the reason? I mean, look at you look at Bowden Barrett's thing. That's one out of the box, but um, that's the kind of thing I guess you're talking about. Yeah, I don't I don't think the backline has performed as well as they should be. Um, you know, it's a it's a in terms of even international footy, it's a it's a pretty star-studded backline, and I just don't I don't know I, I don't like the way they're not hitting the ball. At full speed, they're they're sort of quite flat and catching the ball under pressure, not at full speed. I, I, I uh, they've also been I th- I think they've been pretty boring to be fair in terms of uh, you know scrum a line out. They're just they're just you know going 12 up a lot or 13 up, and there's just not a lot of deception and you know world class back one like that. I I'm just I'm I'm a bit bored of watching them just crash and bash into a brick wall. I, I think they can be better. I think they can be more dynamic and I think they can find space on the outside. They've got 
you know, some amazing outside backs and just let them let them get the ball in a bit of space and let them do their thing, I think, is what they need. I, I just think they've been a little bit too conservative as back line this year. Well, that's not something you uh, actually associate either, too, with uh, the likes of Bowden Barrett. Conservative really isn't part of his playbook normally. No, nah, there's... Oh, you know, they've had a pretty tough run, the Blues. They've, they've played every team ahead of them on the points table, so... You know, they've had some bigger games, and I, I, I don't know, I just find maybe in the next little bit they're going to find some teams that are that are ranked below them. Maybe it's a chance for them to get a bit of confidence and, you know, really work out what they're trying to achieve rather than, you know, sort of week in, week out, big big matches. Um, Chiefs, Crusaders, Wellington, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I just... I, just I, I don't think Bodie's playing with the confidence that he has. He's making a few little mistakes, which not his game. He doesn't seem to be taking the ball to the line a lot, which is um, which is a concern for me. You know, Stephen Pettifetta played um, two weeks ago, and I, I thought he was pretty outstanding being able to take the ball to the line with what was the B team um, against the force. So, yeah, listen, I don't know. Maybe maybe Bodie's caught a little bit between being a 10 and being a fullback because he's spent a lot of time there on defence. And, yeah, I just... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's working as well as it could. As opposed to Damien McKenzie, who has played fullback as well this season, but just uh, he just seems to be playing, well, probably the best start to any season he's had. Yeah, no, he's playing, he's playing very funny. And, it, and he's got exactly that ability to, to be able to take the ball to the line, and that's what he's been doing well for the Chiefs. So, um, they keep it pretty simple. They get the... They get the forwards um, running pretty hard and straight and pretty direct, and then they use a use a back line that's you know taking the, the line at speed. And it's it's pretty simple, but it's working it's working very well for them. Right, let's uh, if we can go back to uh, Friday. All of a sudden, the Highlanders are starting to find a little bit of rhythm. They had uh, all sorts of problems to start the season. Uh, but they got up over the Moana Pacifica, who just don't seem to be strong enough at set piece or in those right areas when it comes to the crunch. Yeah, the minor team are definitely struggling. Um, but the, yeah, the Highland, I mean, you've got to look at the Highlanders as well as who they've played this season. They've played they've played every team in the top four, um, so they haven't had a lot of chances, and then. Um, and then they get a bit of an easier run, so they're, they're taking their opportunities now. Um, they've, they've they've got through the you know the hard the first hard three weeks. Now they're starting to see uh, you know a bit of uh, a few easier games, let's say. So um, you know they're on the front foot now. They're, they're playing well. They're, they're led well around the field. Um, Billy um, Harmon's playing outstanding footy. Thomas Umanga Jensen's again is uh, you know he's he's a special football player, and I'm pretty sure he's going to go a long way in this game. And and the game was really just changed with Fakatava. As soon as he came on, he, he added that something different, um, you know, running at the tight runners around the rucks, and he just created havoc, really. I thought it was his uh, best performance this year. Oh, interesting. OK, because it's getting quite competitive, that number nine jersey, and we can add another name to it, perhaps not uh, for this uh, campaign, but in future campaigns, when uh, the Crusaders um, unearthed uh, Noah Hottam, were you able to have um, a, a bit of a look at him? Yeah, yeah he was good. Um, he's come from uh, a school background where he's, you know, been a bit of, bit of a standout player. So um, he's got his chance. He played very well. Um, 
Crusaders, you know, they're, they're not doing it easy at the moment, having to go, you know, so deep into their ranks with a lot of injuries. But, uh, you know, they do what they do. They just grind grind out the wins and chip away. The Crusaders will get some pretty big names back in the next, you know, month or so. And uh, I think uh, you're going to see them really hit their straps. They've got just such a, yeah. you know, huge squad. And there's just, you know, so many kids that are, you know, spectacular footy players, and it's just uh, they're all inexperienced now. But you can see, you can see over the next few years, these kids are going to come through. They've certainly got some talent down there. Well, they hold on to it too, which is um, it's good for them. But I think it's a bit of a shame because some of these young players that you're talking about, the likes of a Dom Gardner, the likes of a Noah Hotham, etc., um, probably would be well served at other franchises. You'd think at times. Yeah, well, if it wasn't for the injuries, you know, uh, particularly Don Garner, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a fan of him. Uh, he's not really a lock. He's a, he's a great number six, and he went on that New Zealand A tour last year and, you know, was amazing. And, you know, if it wasn't for injuries, he probably wouldn't be playing at all this year. So it, it, it is a bit of a shame, but, you know, they get their chance to shine and hopefully get gets their name out there and other franchises uh, look around. There's not a lot of point having you know, three or four teams in one province and they're not getting a lot of a lot of game time because uh, unless there's injuries, it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. We need these kids playing footy. Well, everyone was talking about just how good it looked for the Hurricanes. The combination between Roy Gard and Cameron was uh, rocking them along quite nicely. Um, and at the weekend or yesterday afternoon, 45-42 only over the force, which... Uh, they'll take the points, but uh, that wasn't what we were expecting, I don't think. Not that margin. Yeah, listen, the Canes had it won. and had it won early and pretty easily. Um, they're, that team, they're the team that can blow you off the park or they're the team that can blow themselves off the park. You know, they, when they get it right, they're so good. And when they, um, you know, they just have these lapses sometimes where things, you know, they, they maybe try a little bit too hard to play that 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 expansive game that they they've got. But chief is when when they're on song, they're on song. And you know if they get it right for 80 minutes, you know in a semi or a final, I can't really see them being beaten when they get it right. They're they're just so so good. The other um, interest uh, performance of interest to me, and I'm really impressed with the start of the drawer this year, Steve. And they accounted for the Rebels at the weekend. Uh, they're a handful when they get home, but they, they're very respectable on the road. I, if you haven't seen the match, I, I, anyone who's listening, just sit down and treat yourselves to a couple of hours of amazing rugby. They just they play the game how it should be played. You know, they they ran, they kicked, they tackled hard. It was uh, it was it was beautiful to watch. It was uh, yeah, I, I, I've probably enjoyed that game more than any other this year. They just they play such a good you know, spirited, free game of rugby where they throw it around and you can tell they're enjoying playing and they're tough boys. And I tell you what, they've just proven that uh, over in Fiji, um, it's, it's, it's going to be a handful for any team that goes there. You know, they when they're on, they're on. And, you know, the crowd gets involved and they grow another arm and leg and it's, it's going to be a tough day at the office for a few teams over in Fiji this year for sure. So if you look at the two um, island franchises that have come um, in and uh, they're starting to get established, more established. What's the difference between the Drua and Moana Pacifica that you can see? Is it is it playing stocks? Is it as simple as that? Or is it just um, a level of organisation and composure, etc.? Or just the flair? What's the difference between them? Because they look 
poles apart at the moment. Yeah, I just think the Fijians, are, you know, it's 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 not a national team, the Jura, but it's probably not far off. It, it's a national local team. Um, obviously, they've got some big boys playing up in the UK, but, uh, you know, it's all the local boys that are getting an opportunity where if we look at the Moana team, they, you know, the Samoans and the, and the Tongans, they they don't really have a feeder club. A lot of their guys are selected from MPC that are not contracted um, or Auckland Club Rugby. or You know, they they just sort of don't have the feeder base and it's... It's always going to be hard to join the Tongans and the uh, sorry the Tongans and the Samoans because they, you know, traditionally they love playing each other and uh, I just they're they're going to struggle for a little while until they you know can um, get some younger players and, and contact them and hang on to them for a few years and and, and build up the club through through um, basically good scouting because they, they don't really have. Uh, a player base to select from, they, you know, they've, they've selected from all over the country, so it's always going to be harder for them to pull these uh, kids together and put put a team and get everyone on the same sheet. So they, I, I think that's the major difference at the moment. They're just the poor Moana team. They, you know, they're still trying to find their feet. They're still trying to find combinations and talent, and and uh, it's going to take them a little while. Brumbies forty, uh, Waratahs thirty six on form. That wasn't. Um... A result most were picking. I think uh, they thought the Brumbies might blow them out, but um, this Waratahs side are really, really hard to read at the moment. Yeah, they're pretty up and down. Um, when they when they get it right, they they get it really right. But uh, again, another team that have lapses and um, a young team, and you know, it's going to take them a little while to to get that week in week out um, performances that they're looking for. So, yeah, the Waratahs. You listen there. Um, on their day, on their day, they're going to knock over anyone. I thought the Brumbies were, you know, they, they weren't quite to their best. They've had a couple of hard weeks, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a good game of footy. They they both went at each other pretty hard. Um, we're starting to see, uh, you know, some some bigger Aussie forwards that are putting their hand up and and getting stuck in. So um, you know, uh, possibly things are looking looking up a little bit for the Aussies. They're, they're starting to find a little bit of uh, depth and a little bit of mongrel. I guess around around some bigger, angrier forwards. So you you think Eddie Jones would be quite impressed with what he's seeing? Uh, I I think he'd be nervous. He's got a little way to go. Um, but uh, yeah, there's you know there's some there's some there's some footy players and some athletes in that Aussie forward pack now. And um, you know when they get it right, the Brumbies can show. You know when they get it right, they can take it to anyone. They've, um, you know they yeah they're, they're coming they're coming along. I just I just think. Once New Zealand put a, all their big boys together, then you know they they get found out a little bit. I just, um, but they're getting there. Certainly, there's certainly improvements. And Aussie, I, I think Aussies have, you know, well they've they've got a pretty easy run in the World Cup, so they should, you know, they should comfortably make a semi-final. And you know, as we all know from there, anything anything can happen. Yep, absolutely, Steve. Hey, thanks very much for taking a look at the weekend for us. Um, yeah, those Chiefs look uh, pretty damn good at the moment. Uh, thanks for your time, mate. Appreciate it. No worries at all. Yeah, cheers. Steve Devine there, former All Black, of course, uh, Blues halfback, um, casting his eye over all the rugby at the weekend. And uh, like a lot of people, just a little bit uh, baffled about the Blues at the moment and uh, where, which direction they're heading in. So uh, it's a crucial time for them, actually, to sort of uh, start making some statements, I think. It's 9.22 here. We'll be back shortly. Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand.
Well, here's one for the ladies because cricket is poised to become the first sport in Australia to break the six-figure wage mark for the vast majority of its domestic female athletes with players on state and WBBL contracts to earn an average of $151,000 from next season. Cricket Australia and the Players' Union are closing in on the finalising of the sport's new pay deal with a memorandum of understanding likely to be announced as soon as early this week. They don't muck around. Uh, final details are still to be sorted through a negotiation that has been largely amicable and headed by Australia Cricket Australia Chief Executive Nick Hockley and his union counterpart Todd Greenberg. Uh, sources from both sides have confirmed talks have been far uh, removed from the dramas of the pay war back in 2017, which resulted in an abandoned tour and threats of strikes. The big winners of the deal will be domestic female cricketers. Uh, AAP, but, uh, who we're getting our information from, has been told that the lowest paid players with state and women's Big Bash League contracts were in $80,000, with state squad sizes to increase from 14 to 16 across each of the seven WNCL sides. Players will also continue to earn match fees for those uh, particular matches beyond their salary, meaning a significant portion of those on a minimum salary will earn more than $100,000 in 2023-24. Ultimately, the deal will take the average salary to $123,000 and $151,000 in that range. $151,000, of course, will incorporate those match fees we just talked about. Amazing. Uh, That is a huge step up. And I I imagine uh, on this side of the Tasman, they'll be taking notice at all as well. Someone who will be taking notice is uh, Peter McGlashan. He is uh, quite, I would say, I wouldn't say outspoken, Peter, but he's uh, very, very interested in the way that women's cricket is uh, looked after in this country. Of course, New Zealand cricket set the bar by giving them pay parity when it came to match fees with the men. So it's not like they're lagging behind, but I wonder what these kind of figures will mean um, to Players Association here when they look to uh, negotiate the new deal whenever that is. Um, look, uh, honestly, that's, that's really good money. It's really, really good money. Um, and it might even encourage um, other players from around the world to start playing some club cricket, domestic cricket in Australia. Why wouldn't it with those numbers? Yeah. Uh, 9.30 here. Yeah. Just, okay. yes, just before we yeah. go, Smithy, I just wanted to ask you, um, I remember attending the World Cup game against um, Zimbabwe at, at uh, McLean Park. I rained out for a little bit. Now, when you were playing in that World Cup, did you ever think cricket would make it to a point where the woman would be paid this much? I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think much about it back in those days, Brian. Um, you know, and, and now that you work in the media, you see more and more stories coming through and more and more figures bandied around. Um, I, you know, I... I think it's the same in all sports. I mean, you know, um, do we ever think that, you know, um, all these women will be contracted rugby players all of a sudden at any stage when we were just going through the motions with the All Blacks and then um, Super Rugby kicked in, professional rugby kicked in. Even at that point, you wouldn't have thought that, um, that women would get a fair crack of the whip and some will say they're still not. Uh, but no, uh, I'll be honest with you, did not think at any point there'd be anything like a women's IPL, a women's big bash and big, big money being earned and by players who just want to hop on a plane and travel around the world. Um, it's, if I'm Mealy Kerr, I'm thinking seriously about that. I really am. One of the best cricketers in the world, uh, making a pittance um, sometimes here at home 
um, and uh, still make yourself a slightly available for the white ferns, but bankroll it while you can. 9.31 here on SENZ. Well, it was a thriller at Eden Park at the weekend for uh, cricket fans. Um, uh, scores tied after uh, each side respectively had their 20 overs. Uh, Sri Lanka, 196 for five. The Black Caps, 196 for eight, which, of course, uh, ended in a super over, uh, which Sri Lanka just uh, got on top of uh, New Zealand in that particular thing. So New Zealand's record in super overs is not good, and it continues to be that way. But... Um, uh, someone who was at the ground in a quite a novel capacity, actually. He's done a lot of commentary over the years, but not so much uh, in Tadeo. And uh, that was one of the reasons that uh, everyone was so interested to uh, talk to uh, Peter McGlashan before the event. I saw him on television on uh, Friday morning, and then, of course, to get the review. So we've got him on. Pete, good morning to you. Yeah, morning, Sylvie. How did it go? How did, how did the, the concept go of uh, Tadeo commentary? How did it, um, I wasn't privy enough to w- be able to watch it, but how did it work? Yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I guess the, the technical part um, was quite complicated, and fortunately we didn't have to worry about that. But the, the same team that were doing the Spark Sport broadcast were kind of splitting the feed, and we'd get a heads up through our earpiece, um, as you know from the uh, directors and that, as to when they were going to ads, and then we had to try and fit in with them. Um, but it was just a, a wonderful experience. The first time that it had been done, so a few teething problems, but really exciting, and so far the feedback's been great. And in terms of, uh, okay, so technically it wasn't that, that easy for you, but the, the, the language itself and that, uh, you know, you, you're obviously uh, becoming quite fluent in, in Tadeo yourself, so how, how, did, how did it work? I mean, did it go, uh, was there an English translation as well or just straight Tadeo? Yeah, so my, I mean, I'm definitely on the start of my um, te reo journey, but uh, we were fortunate to have Scotty Morrison, who's obviously an amazing speaker, uh, a speaker, though, who also came to uh, te reo Māori late in life, so an adult learner, which is an inspiration for people like me and others that are that are doing this. Uh, it, it came about through, I guess, people like um, Alex Lewis and a few others having the courage to get alongside New Zealand cricket and say, hey, look, we'd like to do something a bit different. Uh, and so they... Um, uh, managed to source some funding, which allowed the the project to get underway, and it's just really exciting to kind of see where it could potentially go from here. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're speaking about something you're passionate about. Um, often the words come easily, but when you're trying to speak it in a second language, it becomes a challenge. The the, the target was 30%. Uh, that was the the funding package that we had applied for. And I'm pretty mm. confident that um, it would have been about 30 to 40 percent at least. It was a bilingual broadcast; it wasn't a Tadeo-only broadcast, and so hopefully that made it really accessible for those that may not have understood all the words. It's fair to say cricket's got its own jargon, so even people who speak yeah. English can't always understand all the words that we use. Um, but it was, yeah, awesome thing to be a part of, that's for sure. It's a very good point, actually. A very, very good point. Um, the other thing, uh, Peter, is um, is it ongoing? I mean, I'd hate to think it's just a one-off. So is it ongoing, I mean, for the rest of the series or, you know, you're just looking to grow from this point onwards? Yeah, it was a one-off as far as I know for this summer. Um, it took quite a lot, bit of effort to kind of um, put the proposal together to, to source the funding because it did sit outside the 
the usual broadcast contracts that um, that Spark Sport and others have with New Zealand cricket. So it did take a little bit of extra work. It's definitely the only one this summer. But um, you know, one of Scotty Morrison's questions before we started was, you know, who ins- who was your inspiration when you were playing? And, and I spoke about how Adam Prory had been a, a player that inspired me. And, and you know, yourself, Smithy, in the '92 World Cup was the first pair of proper wicketkeeping gloves I ever had. Was those grey ones with the stri- coloured stripes on them? So you know, hopefully we've inspired um, New Zealand cricket and others to have the confidence to to include this in the future broadcast. I think that might be something with um, cricket going over to TVNZ, where you know TVNZ as the national broadcaster have probably a greater responsibility to include this. So hopefully mm. it, it grows from here. Wow, that sounds encouraging. It really does. On the game itself, uh, Peter, what did you make of that? For all intents and purposes, um, anything that goes to a super over looks pretty spectacular. So for your debut uh, in terms of uh, Tadeo, as you were talking about, uh, not a bad start. What did you make of the spectacle? Yeah, it was a wonderful game. It was uh, it definitely had some ebbs and flows. Uh, you know, the wicket off the first ball uh, kind of set the tone, and then Sri Lanka felt fought back and. Uh, and even during the New Zealand batting inning, there was ups and downs the whole way through. It's a shame it didn't finish with a tie, really. Uh, you know, Ishtodi hitting a six off the last ball to tie it would have been a wonderful story because he was key to slowing down the Sri Lankan batting effort uh, with his slow bowling early on as well. So it's almost a shame that the super over happened because it did take the year out of the occasion a little bit um, after the excitement of the finish. And, you know, but I'm sure that you were getting a little bit of... Um, PTSD smitty from you watching Super over the years. Uh, it's not something New Zealand seem to be particularly good at, a little bit like English with uh, penalty shootouts. But I think it's a, yeah, it's one of those things where Eden Park continues to put up these amazing games uh, and hopefully everyone had a good night. It's great entertainment. On the New Zealand bowling performance, uh, Peter, um, Nisham two for 30 offers four, Sodi, as you say, none for 33 offers four. They're respectable figures in T20 cricket any day of the week. What did you make of the Milne-Shipley-Lister combination? Yeah, it was an interesting one. Obviously, uh, Lister and Shipley, um, very inexperienced and kind of learning their way. Adam Milne, a player who I played with, I mean, uh, I saw him just before the game and we were reminiscing about he'd made his debut versus Pakistan in a game in a series that I was playing in. So while Adam's been there for a long time, he hasn't played many games because he has been very injury prone. So I think, you know, it was an opportunity for Gary Stead to, to learn a little bit about these fringe players before the World Cup later in the year. Um, you know, Nisham will be pleased with his performance to come in and have that impact the way that he did. Ishodi was good again. So uh, a learning opportunity for Lister and Shipley. Um, they really do need to grab their last few chances of the summer um, if they're going to have uh, a hope of being included in the, the bigger tournaments later in the year. Batting side of things, uh, Mr Dependable, um, Richard Hadley medal winner this year was um, Daryl Mitchell, again 66. Uh, and useful contributions, I suppose. Uh, 196 is quite a daunting target, batting second. Yeah, it is. I think uh, particularly losing the two opening batters so early, I feel for Chad Bowles on, uh, I think he was on debut yesterday, Tim Seifert, after a long time away from the the Black Caps uniform, came in and unfortunately didn't start off well either. Uh, and then I think when you have the, you have Tom Latham in that kind of top three who's going to be reasonably steady. It did mean that Mitchell could come in and play with some freedom. Uh, that was exactly what was needed. Chapman did a good job striking at almost 150, um, and it kind of looked like it was going to be a bit beyond them. I'm really pleased for Rich and Ravindra. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a, 
chance to make a name for himself really. 26 off 13, he almost got them across the line and if he'd stayed in for an extra over or so, uh, he could have uh, secured a win for them. Uh, in many ways, Black Cats were probably fortunate to get to the tie with a couple of big hits from Sodi. So some some promising starts, as you mentioned, but you know, T20 is really about someone grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck, and that didn't happen for New Zealand. Peter, I'd love to hear your uh, aspect on where the wicket-keeping situation is with New Zealand. Quite clearly, Tom Blundell's having a, a wonderful test career. There's no do- denying that. When it comes to white ball cricket, where do you think our best balance is in terms of our keeper? Yeah, well, Rebecca Rolls and I were both in the commentary yesterday and we must admit we were a bit surprised that Tim Seifert was running around in the outfield. You kind of thought that Tom Latham maybe would have been better off down at mid-on and mid-off chatting to his bowlers as the captain. Um, you know, uh, Seifert, I do, you know, while he has made some mistakes in the past, I do feel he's a better wicketkeeper than Latham. Uh, T20 cricket is one of those ones where the effect that the wicketkeeper has on the game is often determined by the type of bowlers that you have. So if you've got lots of slow bowlers, then a quality wicketkeeper is going to make a bigger difference than maybe um, if you've got a lineup of fast bowlers where there's no expectation that the wicketkeeper stands up. I think we saw Tom Blundell's um, effect in the test matches by standing up to the seam bowlers and putting a little bit of extra pressure on the batters towards the tail end of those tests. So it showed the value of a quality wicketkeeper. Um, but your, your wicketkeepers have always been used as batters as backups in the New Zealand team and um, you, know, you need to make sure that they're, they're still the best batters available. Uh, it may be a case that you know, Blundell needs to be included in the, the white ball in the future if we're not getting any consistency out of the other people who are getting a chance. What do you think for the World Cup? Or are we staring at uh, Tom Latham then at the World Cup? Was, is Conway capable of keeping for 50 overs? Or what, what, I mean, we're not far away from having to finalise that. Yeah, it's a good point, um, and I think you know, as, as uh, um, we all know yourself, a, a, a keeper who's done that role, it can be different, difficult in the subcontinent to, to turn around quickly and being asked to bat. Uh, I think you know, um, BJ Watling and some of these other guys that have been asked to bat in the top order at the same time as wicket keeping have seen that. And uh, yeah, Conway, we've got such huge expectations on him as a as a top order batter that it might be a bit much to ask him to keep in the subcontinent uh, for 50 overs and then be a top order batter for us. So it probably will have to be uh, a Latham. It's also the sort of place where you could probably take a Blundell uh, anyway because if you're playing with a lot of spinners, uh, which we probably will over there um, with uh, you know Ravindra and Sodi and, and uh, Santner and these guys all being in the mix. You probably want a, a quality wicketkeeper on turning low surfaces. So I think it would be worth having Blundell in the squad. Uh, it's always, it always feels like a bit of a luxury to say to take a second keeper when you travel overseas, but um, the subcontinent, you can't get there quickly if you do have an injury on match day. Mm. So I think it's worth yeah. including them in the squad. Yeah, excellent, uh, excellent reasoning there. Big concern over Kane Williamson all of a sudden, eh? Yeah, real shock. Um, you know, I think you know there'll be a lot of people saying, "I told you so," about releasing our top players to the IPL. It's a difficult thing to fight these days for administrators with just so much um, the power of the dollar and players playing in these tournaments. Uh, I guess we take it for granted when we see Brendan McCullum and Kane Williamson throw themselves in the outfield and you know smash into advertising signs and things that they're bulletproof, but. 
um, you know, Kane's getting on a little bit. He's starting to have those. We saw how long it took him to re- uh, respond. Was it from his elbow injury? Um, and hopefully, it sounds like you know this could be an, uh, quite a serious knee injury, which will possibly require surgery. So hopefully, his his recovery from that is faster than the recovery we've seen from his elbow injury. Um, as he gets on in age, these things often take a little bit longer to recover from. Pete, just finally, um, announcement uh, coming through from uh, Cricket Australia of uh, new deals for uh, women cricketers on the basis uh, some will be earning up to around $151,000 with a combination of state and WBBL contracts. So New Zealand, I guess, set the bar in terms of their match fee parity, um, but uh, it's continuing to develop in the right direction for women. Is it going quick enough for you? Oh, I think we need to be pleased with um, how it's progressing here in New Zealand. Um, you know, uh, the, the women in Australia have been paid more than the men's domestic players in New Zealand for quite a long time. Um, uh, the, the, I guess the, the resources that Cricket Australia have to play with is, is much, much deeper. So they've been rewarding their women's team nowhere near parity because the men earn so, so much. But parity in New Zealand is, is pretty amazing considering how far it's come in a short period of time. Uh, but it's a sign that the sport is healthy and that the broadcasting deals are solid. Uh, so, you know, hopefully it becomes a viable option and cricket continues to attract the best talent available because that's what we want. We want the best athletes playing our great game. Absolutely, Pete. Um, thank you very much for your time this morning, mate. Uh, fantastic uh, to hear that uh, today, even with the technical difficulties, was uh, a good success. So uh, look forward to more of that in the future. And uh, thanks very much for your, your, your take on what's going on in the game at the moment. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cheers, Smithy. Cheers. Uh, Peter McGlashan there, uh, former Black Cap, of course, uh, cricket commentator. And yes, that novel uh, move from uh, Spark Sport, New Zealand cricket, um, to put uh, an international match in, in Tareo commentary. You do it in rugby from time to time and now in cricket as well. Uh, interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, if you listen to that or you're part of that, we'd love to hear your feedback on it. Double eight, double three. Uh, we'll have a multi shortly. When the whole Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Only 50% strike rate uh, on our weekend multi because the Denver Nuggets lost to the uh, New Orleans Pelicans right from the get-go. And, of course, the Phoenix, they blew uh, 1-0 lead to to the Melbourne victory and in the end lost to 2-1, which was quite concerning because their uh, final four... Uh, in terms of home advantage uh, and the playoffs are starting to disappear quite quickly. Let's hope they get that back on track. The Atlanta Hawks uh, to beat Dallas today. Uh, Dallas are a bit fiddly at the moment. I've got to say Doncic's not playing that well. So Atlanta Hawks to beat them at $1.60. Go to baseball, our first baseball bet of uh, the year. Uh, the Houston Astros Houston to beat the Chicago White Sox at $1.72. And the value one is tomorrow morning, actually. It's Everton against Spurs in the EPL. I forecast that to be a draw at $3.30. So $1.60 into $1.72 into $3.30. That mouldy's up to a quite a respectable and healthy $9.08 to start the week. So uh, we'll look forward to that one maybe coming to fruition. Uh, we might have a text or two just before 10 o'clock. Uh, one that uh, came in this morning, text I mean from uh, Ted Clark, said, uh, shout out and big ups to the Warriors. Was a mean game, lived every moment of that comeback. Let's go on, Warriors. Uh, Kevin's come in and said, uh, morning, Smithy. One fabulous Warriors comeback, especially when I had them 13 and under. Wow, didn't uh, think it would happen. Uh, what was Barrett trying to do, point two? 
I still can't work out his logic there. I don't think he'll do that again. I would doubt it. Um, and uh, that, of course, is referring to Bowden Barrett uh, stepping on the dead ball line uh, when he was uh, trying to score a try. Um, you just don't associate him doing that. Uh, you'd, you wouldn't even really mention it if it wasn't the fact that they uh, only lost by a relatively narrow margin, the Blues. Uh, the back caps openers, why don't they use Nisham as a pinch hitter even if he gets 30? The run rate is ticking. That's from Kevin from uh, Titarangi. We're going to talk uh, Formula One uh, very seriously after the break because uh, we're going to talk to Matt Hickey, who was there. Herald Sun Sports social media editor, right on track at Albert Park. Sounds like it was a bit of a mixed finish. We'll talk about that with Matt very shortly. In the meantime, it's coming up to 10 o'clock. Araha with the news. Well, Melbourne enjoyed an incredible weekend of uh, motorsport with Formula One taking a centre stage, of course, the Supercars, the Support Act. Uh, it was a real festival for racing at Albert Park and uh, someone who was lucky enough to be there in a working capacity. Uh, but we're going to reflect on it now as uh, uh, the Herald uh, Sun Sports, uh, Matt Hickey. And uh, Matt, uh, you're the social media editor as well. Plenty of uh, traffic on social media about what was, uh, I would uh, regard as a pretty successful weekend overall. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Smithy. It was a, a massive weekend. I mean, across the four days, there was over 440,000 people rolled into the Albert Park circuit. And even on the Thursday, where there were no actual F1 cars rolling around, uh, there were tens of thousands of people there. It was uh, a massive weekend for Melbourne. The finish of the race, uh, some people say, I've been reading reports, was perhaps sport a wee bit by the, the red flag situation. Um, what did you make of that and the outcome? Yeah, I mean, it, it was an interesting one because some people, you got the feeling that they'd had enough. It had gone a little longer than most races uh, do go for. Other people loved it because it meant uh, at least the second to last red flag, it meant that we got a nice little three-lap drag race at the end or while we were supposed to until that final red flag came about. It's never great to end a race under uh, safety car regulations, but for those who love the drama of the sport, it was uh, the most dramatic race of the season so far. So uh, overall, uh, when you look at that uh, kind of flag situation, uh, do you think the FIA are becoming a little bit too pedantic, a little bit too careful on that? It's a really tough one for the FIA because they have to walk such a tight line. If they aren't pedantic, then they get... Uh, I guess, punished and, and, and called out in the media for not being a safe enough sport. If they go over the top, then they get called out on that as well. Um, some people suggest maybe that first red flag didn't need to happen, uh, but I personally would rather them be on the safer side um, because we've, we've seen, uh, I guess, the results of what can happen when the sport isn't as safe as it possibly can be. Right, let's uh, look at a, a tale of uh, joy and a tale of woe. Uh, when we look, first of all, at um, Max Verstappen, who's, uh, that's his first Australian Grand Prix and Red Bull's third win of the season already. How high is their ceiling and just how good is this fellow? Uh, he is otherworldly. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think we can fully appreciate it uh, in the moment, but the fact that we've got... Max Verstappen, who will go on to win many more world championships and Lewis Hamilton racing together at the same time, I think will be something talked about for a long, long time in motorsport. For Red Bull, I mean, unless they have a mechanical issue or, or somebody brings some wild upgrades to their car throughout the season, they look almost unbeatable. Now, history suggests that somebody will pop up and snag a few races off them. Um, but 
Max Verstappen and Red Bull look sensational. And if he has any issues, the chances are that Sergio Perez is going to be the one in the other Red Bull to pop up and take the victory as well. Okay, well, uh, that leads me to the tale of woe, which is surely uh, Charles Leclerc, who uh, didn't accumulate any points, didn't finish. Um, on the back of trying to defend his title, what has happened to uh, Charles Leclerc this, this season? Yeah, it's a tough one. Ferrari aren't quite where they were at the same time last year. Last year, it seemed as though they had the car there, but it was more the strategic mistakes that they kind of continued to make that uh, allowed Red Bull to get a nice little buffer and then Max Verstappen just flexed his muscle. This year, it's it's a tough time for Ari. This race is one that they like to forget. I mean, Leclerc was one of eight cars who, who failed to finish the race, um, one that he would no doubt like back, especially having won the race in Melbourne last year. Um, but we know the pedigree of Ferrari. And I think everybody likes to see the Ferrari do well because it's such an iconic car, uh, thanks to Michael Schumacher and, and the years it's had in the sport. So watch this space. We'll see. I think Ferrari will come with a few upgrades, but I don't think they'll be able to challenge uh, Max Verstappen and Red Bull for the titles. Podium finish for Lewis Hamilton and uh, Mercedes. Uh, can they improve, you think? Is there improvement for them this year? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because they were suggesting prior to this race that they were going to uh, really completely change the design and look of their car because it just wasn't working. Now, it'll be very interesting to see exactly what they do do because this is a really strong race for them. Uh, George Russell, if it wasn't for the, the mechanical issue that he had, was set for a, a great finish as well, was leading the race at one point as well. So um, exciting for Mercedes. Keep an eye on it, though, because as we all know, sometimes certain cars just suit certain tracks. Um, so we'll see if they're able to be consistently in the mix for podium finishes going forward. Aston Martin, what do you make? Third and fourth, uh, Alonso and Stroll. Uh, what, are, what have you made of Aston Martin? Their, their team looks to be pretty good. Yeah, one of, one of the, the great turnarounds are when you look at uh, where they were last year compared to this year. Uh, Alonso is flying and, and we saw little flashes of it over the last few years with Sebastian Vettel managing um, to finish in the top five on a few occasions but they look like the, the most consistent challenger to Red Bull for at least the start of the season um, they've had a fantastic start and it's great to see other cars and other teams in the mix that we thought were maybe just mid-pack teams and it's great to see them being able to compete and it shows that other teams also have the capabilities of, uh, of getting up there if they make the right calls so, did they take? Uh, did Aston Martin take a few Red Red Bull employees as part of their new look? Yeah, there's always a bit of a, a merry-go-round in the paddock. Um, so, so they didn't, and I'm I'm sure that's had some impact. Whether it's had all the impact, you don't know. Uh, obviously, we're in the second year of these um, massive new regulation changes. We saw last year that the brand new cars that look very different to what uh, era's gone past got wheeled out. So. Uh, now that we're kind of starting to mature into these cars, you're going to see some teams pop up, but perhaps the Red Bull employees have, um, have lended a helping hand. They've been good for a long period of time. Right. Uh, the other Ferrari driver, of course, was uh, Carlos Sainz Jr., who uh, copped um, a five-second penalty. A lot of people saying that that was a wee bit harsh as well, but uh, relegated him uh, down to 12th. Yeah, it was one of the uh, the sadder things of the weekend was the team radio of, of Carlos in the car waiting for the restart after the red flag, pleading with his team to go back to the FIA about his penalty. 
Um, I think there was a point where he almost started uh, to tear up a little bit and actually shut his visor because obviously they've got that camera that looks straight into the driver's face. So, yeah, either way you look at it, potentially they should have assessed that after the race because it was so close to the finish. Um, but a really tough time for Carlos Sainz. He was he was running well up in the points and uh, it, it capped off what was a, a pretty brutal weekend uh, for the TFOs. What did you make um, of uh, hometown hero Oscar Piastri's uh, performance and finishing eighth? Yeah, huge. I mean, to think that McLaren with Lando Norris finishing sixth managed to get both of their drivers in the points, uh, considering at the start of, of the weekend, that would have... I don't know what the odds would have been on that. It would have been outrageous. Um, so a huge for Oscar Piastri. Um, on a weekend where, if if I'm being honest, on the ground, it felt like Daniel Ricciardo was, you know, the more the fan favourite, and he wasn't even in a car this weekend. Um, but, uh, no, he takes away four points, which is a great effort. I wonder if there weren't all the DNFs, uh, whether he would have gotten in the points, but part of uh, part of the race is being able to finish the race. So, no, nah, massive for Oscar Piastri, and we know his pedigree. He's going to be a special talent moving forward. So what is the update on uh, Daniel Ricciardo? Yeah, it's an interesting one. There was a, um, a, a little paddock interaction he had with uh, Ted Kravitz from Sky Sports where he said, he's, you know, it's only a year off and then I'll be back. And, and that's gotten a few fans excited thinking, okay, well, maybe there's movement. And uh, a few of the team principals were interviewed earlier in the weekend and said that, you know, they will talk to Daniel Ricciardo if the spot opens up in their team. So, uh, again, it's another one of these watch this space because the, the game of F1 can change so fast as we saw uh, with Ricardo, he's the only McLaren uh, to, to, to win a race in a long time, and yet he was the one who was first out the door. So I think we might see him on the grid next year. It just depends on the performances of the drivers that are on there at the moment. Supercars, successful weekend? Yeah, it was an interesting weekend for supercars. I mean, any time you can get on this big stage with, with this many people coming in to watch um, you know, it's it's going to be a massive success. There were some issues uh, with fuel fires, um, which saw the final race on the Sunday uh, actually start under safety car regulations, which which frustrated a few people. Um, but a massive weekend, and 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 maybe a title challenger to Shane Van Gisbergen, which I know over there, Smithy, probably isn't the news that you want to hear, but it's going to make for some interesting racing. Well, it has to, um, because it was becoming one-way traffic, mate, and the, the most um, awful pun in terms of talking motor racing, but it was one-way traffic. Oh, it really was. He is he is phenomenal, and it, it really looked like it was going to uh, waltz away again uh, uh, this year, but we might have a little bit of a, a title battle on our hands. Okay, um, and the event itself, raging success for Melbourne. I mean, it is the sporting mecca of the Southern Hemisphere, lived up to its name. Yeah, it certainly did. The only slight blight was uh, the uh, Australian Grand Prix Corporation's being called in front of the stewards because of fans managing to get onto the track while their F1 cars were still going around yesterday, um, which is a shame, and hopefully that gets sorted for, for future years because they're allowed on the track when the podium happens, um, but you've got to wait until all the cars are back into the pits. But overall, I mean, as I said, over 440,000 people there. The vibe was amazing. Even if you don't love motor racing... Just the energy, there's mm. concerts after the racing finishes. It's just phenomenal. So how long has Melbourne got the deal with FIA at this point? How, what's the contract length? 
I believe it got renewed recently to 2035. Wow. 10 years. Yeah, so locked in for Lip a long 12 time. 12 years. 12 years, man. 12 years of Matt Hickey going back to Albert Park. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> it does. It sounds very, very good to me, at least. <laughs> okay, Matt. Hey, thank you. Fantastic to, to catch up with you. Sounds like you had uh, a great time as, uh, as those 400,000 plus did as well. So Melbourne do it well and they did it well again. Cheers, man. Thanks uh, for your review of the weekend's activities. Thanks for having me on, Smithy. Much appreciated. Yeah, cheers, Matt Hickey there, uh, Herald Sun Sports Media Editor. And uh, I'll tell you, they had uh, a lot of fun, those guys, over the weekend. And there was, I counted 15 grandstands. Nah, they were called the loudest stand of Vettel. Uh, sorry, Vettel stand. Clark, Button, Brabham, Fangio, Jones, Prost, Moss, Hill, uh, Ricardo, Schumacher, Senna, Weber, and Stewart. All those grandstands set up around Albert Park course. Uh, just beautifully done, really is. And, of course, the supercars on that very big stage, a massive stage for them, those drivers. I mean... You know, they have big crowds, but uh, none of that nature. So they'd have loved being on show as well. 10.15, we'll have a panel next. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Mark Watson and Jamie Wall with us this morning. Uh, Good morning, gentlemen, as we uh, look back on the the weekend that was and uh, Jamie Wall, Super Rugby, the Blues failed to grab uh, opportunities against the Chiefs. Hurricanes scraped by, I think it's fair to say, your Hurricanes. Uh, what was the highlight for you over the weekend? Yeah, good morning, Smitty. I, I'm pretty concerned about the Blues, to be honest. That's the second game out of three, uh, referring to the other game uh, the other week against the Crusaders, where they've had enough ball and territory to win it twice, and they've failed to do so. And it's kind of disappointing because I... I thought, even though they haven't, they didn't manage to win the title last year, that they had turned a corner in terms of this sort of stuff. You know, in terms of regular season games that they should be putting away, you can kind of count on them to do so. They've certainly got the players to do so, and if they're already starting to drop off, then I'm just sort of wondering what's kind of going on behind the scenes because we had a very interesting interview with Leon McDonald the other week where he couldn't help but smile and laugh when it was brought up that he was most likely going to be uh, Scott Robertson's assistant uh, going into next year. So he's he's on the way out. Um, there's a few players who are on the way out as well. And if they've if what they've built over the last few years is already starting to fall apart uh, because people are thinking about what they're going to be doing next, that's like I said, that's that's very disappointing. Um, I'm I'm worried about Bowden Barrett. He just hasn't looked that great um, this year and to just go and step on the dead ball line like that just made me want to just put my fist through my TV because I'm like, come on man, like you should know better than that, I mean big ups to Tupo Vai for getting around and uh, and and making that play, I can understand why Bowden was trying to do it because his goal kicking was so atrocious he could barely hit the side of a barn so he's trying to get the ball under the post but yeah, I'd, I, if I was the Blues right now, I would be very disappointed about the way that, that game went down. They need to have a really good look at a good hard look at themselves. Um, and just on that on that Hurricanes game, that I think that scoreline is a little bit misleading. They they were comfortably ahead for a while before both teams emptied their bench, and the Hurricanes actually ran out of reserves because of an, a late injury to Brett Cameron there. So they did finish the game with 14 players, 
and the the force did score two very late tries, including one that was like five minutes into referee's time. So I it was pretty dumb of them to just keep going. They should have really kicked the ball out because it um, it meant that they didn't get a bonus point. So that's pretty thick on their on their part. Uh, but those were the two most sort of intriguing games uh, of the weekend. Um, we just had another uh, unfortunate, you know, Moana Pacifica game where they couldn't really play past halftime. Um, and the Reds versus the Crusaders on Friday was, was pretty forgettable. But uh, another good one for the Fijian draw, who uh, look like a completely Jekyll and Hyde outfit, depending on where they're playing. Um, but it just goes to show that any team going up to up to up there to play them is, is probably going in as underdogs because uh, that that looked like a really tough assignment for a, a Rebels team that did actually, to be fair, put on a pretty decent charge at the end there. Mark Watson, I know that you had uh, commentary duties uh, over the weekend. In fact, um, one of my favourite sporting events, actually, and we'll get to that shortly, but I just wonder if you caught any of these Super Rugby? Yeah, look, I did take interest in the Battle of the Bombay. I was keen to sort of see if this Blues team could sort of step up and beat the Chiefs outfit. And uh, I sort of agree with Jamie. I think it was an opportunity, but a defining moment for the Blues. And there's just something not quite right there, is it? You know, Tom Coventry tends to sort of pick big, big sort of bulky forwards. You know, talking with Steve Devine on a number of those sort of super rugby shows, you know, the issue seems to be about just sort of getting the cleaners in there and that quick sort of ruck ball. And it's been an area that they still just don't seem to have got on top of. But, yeah, look, I, I'm just not convinced on Bowden Barrett. I'd like to see Stephen Perifetta, um play at first five. Um, I think he was really, really good um, when it was against, I think it was the Western Force. And he just seems to take on the line a lot more. I, 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 look, I, I've just never really been in that enamoured with Bowden Barrett over the last two years. I, I, I'm just not sure where the fuss is with this guy. I don't think he's been a great rugby player for the last couple of years. I think, you know, he carries a bit of a legacy that allows him to get away with a lot. You know, there's talk from the Blues of trying to sort of get him back from Japan, maybe beyond 2024. Why Why would you waste your money on him? Let's just look for the next guy. Um, this Jock McKenzie, I think, coming through out of Westlake Boys High School by all accounts is an outstanding young rugby talent. And so, look, I think it's about moving on. If you're going to play Barrett, maybe play him at fullback. Let's have Perifetta at first five. But, look, I think it's easy to pick the Blues apart, isn't it? But, look, Damien McKenzie played well. Chiefs are playing well. And well done to them. If you, um, Mark Watson, if you had to play the World Cup final tomorrow, who would your 10 be? Great question. Great question. Um, yeah, really interesting. Uh I mean, you're going to go with you're going to go with um, Richie Mawanga, uh, I think. But look, I, I'd like just like to see Stephen Perifetta get more game time, and I, yeah, I, I think he's underrated as a first five eight. So if you're asking me, it wouldn't be Bowden Barrett. No, I can sense that. <laughs> right, let's uh, let's move on to some uh, cricket action over the weekend and uh, a super over game. Um, which uh, was the highlight of the weekend, but uh, New Zealand just can't seem to win those ones, Jamie. And the worst news of all, I think, over the weekend, um, Kane Williamson. You know, when you start uh, having knee injuries and um, you know, your body's getting a bit older, you wonder, don't you? Uh, we can't do, can't have cricketing life without Kane at this point, but just how bad this is going to be. And, of course, uh, the Black Caps still fishing around for their talent. Yeah, true. Really bad news about about Kane. 
I, I I feel though in cases like this, you know, injuries just are a part of sport. It, 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 he, he's not invincible, and as you say, he is getting a little bit older at the moment. And I mean, it did feel like a bit of a freak accident. Under it, really, sort of see what's happened. I mean, it's probably most disappointing for his IPL team, who've um, obviously got him in there to win them games and get bums on seats. But uh, yeah, let, let's just hope it's it's not serious. And the game over the weekend obviously had a, an eye, one eye on that and one eye on the rugby that was happening at the same time. Um, I think it was a really great effort by the Black Caps to at least get in a position to win because it, it, it was looking really shaky uh, there towards the end. And each side to come in and play a really uh, classy innings at the end there to, to, to tie the game up. Um, because when you go to a super super over, it's really like rolling the dice, uh, really. So I don't think they can be too um, disappointed about that one. Um, I think I think there was about 220 in that pitch for Sri Lanka, so they they could probably be pretty happy that they restricted them to a to a gettable um, total there. So I think the bowlers can probably put a tick in their 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 KPI column there. Uh, but at the same time, you know I think. At one point, there was a sort of three down when Mitchell was there. Can't fault those guys for getting those getting those runs at the time, but one of them just needed to stick around and and see the game out um, well before the last ball and not put it in the hands of a on, of a super over. So it's disappointing, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's exciting. Um, just had had a chat with someone who was who was actually at the game. I said it was a really cool atmosphere and a few kids there. So that that that's important. Um, and there are a couple more to go. Uh, in the series, so you know they can they can uh, make something out of it. I'm sure. Is it getting a bit lost this finish to the cricket season for you, Mark? Is it sort of being over overshadowed by um, a bigger margin than normal? Yeah, look, I think it is. But look, I think Chris, cricket's just lost its way by being on Spark. To be honest, I just think it's lost so much visibility and. I think there's a message in that, that, yeah, you might take the cash grab in the short term, but what's the damage in the long term? What are some of the intangibles? I mean, you know, when Kane Williamson's scoring double hundreds and some of the most dramatic test matches, kids should be the next day out there mimicking and wanting to be him, and I've just not seen it because I just don't think they're watching it. Uh, look at Sri Lanka too. I just don't think they bring, I just don't think they bring that brand with them. What are we into April? It's starting to get quite cold. Rugby's well and truly into it. And then it's T20 cricket. And T20 cricket, you know, look, it's good entertainment, isn't it? It's the best of cricket in terms of certainly the batting side of it. And young kids enjoy watching it. But, you know, win or lose, I don't really think it has too much of an impact on us. I don't think we wake up and we're mourning as a nation and we're having the big discussions around what team we're going to pick and whether coaches should be sacked or not. So... Yeah, look, it's a bit of hit and giggle for me. Um, but, yeah, is it lost? Yeah, I, I, I think it was lost. I, I think cricket's been lost in this country, uh, like I say, since going to the Spark platform. And I think it was a really, really dumb decision by New Zealand cricket. And I think it was really, really short-sighted. Right, Mark Watson with us there, uh, echoing the thoughts of uh, a lot of people in terms of uh, the coverage. Um, and uh, we've also, of course, uh, got Jamie Wall with us. And uh, I want to look uh, straight after the break. We're going to take a break with uh, Araha now. But when we come back, uh, one of my favourite secondary school sporting events, in fact, nationally, um, was a big fan when I was a kid because um, I lived in Wanganui and there was a lot of rowing going on around that time. So uh, we're going to talk Marty Cup uh, in particular um, with Mark Watson, who is commentating it. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 
It is uh, coming up to 10.32 here on SENZ. We're in the middle of a very interesting panel with Mark Watson and Jamie Wall. And uh, Mark Watson, as I said before the break, uh, commentating uh, in terms of uh, the Māori Cup. How is the event and how does uh, our future in rowing look in your regard? Yeah, I've got to say it was a great privilege. It's an event I'd always wanted to do and the opportunity came along. It was the 76th edition. You mentioned growing up in Whanganui, the first race for the Māori Cup was 1947. It was on the Whanganui River and it was actually won by my mob, Mount Abbott Grammar School, beating Sacred Heart narrowly. And so 76 years later, it's become basically, I I think it's the Blue Ribbon event for secondary school sport in terms of boys' sport. uh, And then on the girls' side, the Levin Jubilee Cup. And so, you know, it's this week of racing, almost 3,000 kids across sort of under 15, under 16, under 17, right across it, and under 18, right across every form of boat you can imagine, from the pairs to the doubles to the fours. Um, and it culminates uh, with those final two races on the last day. It's interesting, the Māori Cup itself, only 17 schools have ever won it um, in, in the 76-year history. And yeah, it came to finals time, and there's a lot of discussion around Hamilton boys. They have um, really sort of made it their own in recent times, and you know they pick a lot of talent from the wider area of the Hamilton region, and so a lot of people love to hate them, but they are the standard. And come the Māori Cup, they were happy to pull, but small, happy to pull some of their members of the eight out of other finals to make sure they keep their powder dry. But there was a lot of talk around St. Bede's. St. Bede's had only ever won it once in their history, which was back in 1991. And now often, you know, people can talk up rivalries, they can talk up the showdown and it never lives up to it. Then you get those moments like our Waverley star, Bone Crusher, Cox played 87 and this thing got underway and it ended up becoming this titanic battle. It ended up becoming the great race and it was St. Bede's and it was Hamilton boys and they crossed the line of one five hundredth of a second separated two of them. And it was one of the best things I've watched in sport. It's been one of the best things I've involved in. And so um, Hamilton thought they'd won it. We thought they'd won it looking at all the emotion. And then when the official results came up, it went the way of St. Bede's. And just to watch a team going from just basically, you know, consoling each other to just share an utter joy was just absolutely remarkable and sort of 10,000 people there just buzzing. And on the girls' side, Rangiruru just continue to do what they've done. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the Levin Jubilee Cup is the big prize for the women's under 18 eights and they won their third consecutive and I think it's number 18 now in total for them and they also went first and second so they've just got a wonderful program, technically well drilled. Uh, what does it mean for the future of Ryan? It's great, it's just this wonderful feeder. Look, I think we're going to be disappointed next year in Paris by all accounts. I think the rowing program's in a rebuild phase and I think we'll be lucky to win two or three medals but when you look at the talent coming through and you know the Smithy, it is one tough Tough, tough sport. You've got to have a head mm. like Granite. Um, yeah, there is some wonderful talent, but it wasn't just from those schools. You know, the talent's actually come out of schools like Wakatipu, Fokatani. You know, you had Hauraki Plains there. And interesting in all seriousness, didn't really see the likes of a Napier Boys or a Hastings um, really sort of feature. Yet so many other schools from around the country and the smaller boats seem to get their hands on medals. So it almost... I hate to say it, it's almost your region that for some reason it doesn't appear to have much of a uh, yeah much of a um, legacy in. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm not quite sure whether their last minute preparations, Mark, were thrown uh, out of kilter because a lot of them do train on the Clive River, um, and God knows uh, what state that was in leading into it for the last yeah, uh, two to three weeks. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what their, their last-minute preparation was like. But you're right, um, those two schools tended more dominate uh, with the rugby um, and Napier doing very well at cricket this year as well. Um, Jamie, uh, there we were at uh, 6 o'clock last night sitting down thinking we couldn't have any more drama over the weekend um, and we'd probably had enough. Uh, and then the Warriors turn up, 20-0 down, and uh, they pull out one of the most incredible comebacks I think in their history, just at the right time. How good was that? That's—I haven't seen something like that in quite a while, especially not from the Warriors. Uh, they've been slow to start all their games this year. Uh, it's the one big flaw in their uh, in, in in what's been a pretty impressive start to the year, uh, and this was the worst one yet. Uh, they they just let the Sharks just run in three pretty pretty soft tries uh, to get up to 20, 20 to nil. And they didn't even really have their hands on the ball until about 12 minutes into the game, um, which is pretty rare for rugby league. But uh, to then just sort of start to grind back at halftime and make it 26 to 12 and you go, okay, they're a shot. You know, I'm going to keep, I'm not going to turn the TV off like I, like I would have uh, last year or the year before that, or, you know, I'm actually probably going back a few years now. Um, and then to see Sean Johnson just completely take charge uh, was was really really something. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that we all kind of want to do want to do well. He's a, he's a guy who's got a lot to prove to a lot of people that he, he still belongs as uh, the key playmaker of an NRL side. And and you can't really argue that he uh, he, he managed to do that uh, last night in Cronulla. It was it was fantastic and against his old team as well. I also big raps on um, Josh Curran as well, a guy who. His future at the club is probably a little bit shaky, um, given that Andrew Webster's just decided to go with um, other guys to to take his spot. Um, you know, he was in there uh, because of uh, injuries. Uh, he came on and had an absolute blinder um, in that last like, that last 20 minutes. Uh, made some huge hits and scored um, the try that locked locked it all up. Um, as well as that, I mean, I just think that the the word we keep hearing about this team and Sean Sean Johnson said so afterwards is resilience. That's all anyone really wants to see out of the Warriors, you know, like as a fan. You just had years and years of them just kind of capitulating all the time. And to see them actually have grown a backbone and be able to pull themselves back. Because to be honest, it wouldn't have really mattered if they, they hadn't won that game, if, if Hines had kicked that last penalty or, or whatever. Um, just to show, just to have people see that they've got it in them, that they're not just going to give up uh, is the most important thing about this Warriors team. And it's why they're going to go into Newcastle next week with uh, a lot of confidence. And it's why they're going to come back to Mount Smart in a couple of weeks against the Cowboys. And they're going to have a huge crowd to see they're watching them uh, because that's they're, they're proving to people that it's worth getting your wallet out of your pocket for this team. And that's, that's how you run a professional sports team. You've got to, you've got to show people give people reasons to support you, and they're doing that, and it's fantastic. Well, I'm becoming a believer, Mark Watson, I've got to say. Um, you know, it's year after year after year of disappointment, but anything but this time round so far. Oh, I'll be honest, you know, I come in very cynical about the Warriors, and I don't buy into it. it's going to be their year. But look, there's a lot to 
start to smile about. I've got to be honest, I'm still going to be sort of reserved in my opinion, um, probably until sort of rounds 15, 16 and got a few injuries and whether they can maintain this. But yeah, it's a great start, isn't it? And it's great to see the players smiling. It's great to see Warriors fans who have been struggling for so long, almost embarrassed, suddenly going, hey, hey, that's all we want. As Jamie said, we just want guys who are going to go out there you don't mind losing as long as you've given it 100%, and that's what we're starting to see. Uh, what was refreshing, too, was the post-interview with Sean Johnson, where he just said, oh, you know, there was some funny shit we said at half-time, and isn't it just nice and refreshing that we've got a player just calling it as we see it? It's something rugby could learn from. You know, we are flawed as people, and we don't mind seeing flaws in other people. We don't expect people to stand up there and be prim and proper and give some sort of queen speech. We just want to see the emotion. We want to feel it. And that's, you know, it's part of the entertainment package. It's what endears, it's what, you know, it's how you endear yourself to your fans. And I just thought that was a really, really nice touch from Sean Johnson. So, yeah, look, uh, so far, so good. I I think the concern for me is, and Jamie touched on it, that mental resilience. I, I mean, my question is, how... How is it that so many players can get to this level previously but still not be mentally tough? Because it's been that top two inches that's let the Warriors down. It's the top two inches that a lot of clubs down. How is it when it comes to talent identification, so many players get through, but we for some reason haven't tested their mental fortitude as part of the definition of talent? I guess that's the concern for me. Okay. Interesting thoughts there from uh, Mark Watson and from Jamie Wall. They were our panellists this morning. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a terrific day. It is uh, 10.42 here on SCNZ. Bit of panel feedback. Good points. What oh, talented young players only get through on ability because coaches are only worried about winning and not development. As long as they are scoring against off, often weaker opposition, nobody cares. That from uh, Brendan. Also, uh, Maggie's come in and said, uh, cricket here, here, Mark Watson. Um, you know, you, you're right in terms of uh, the timing of it and uh, the coverage of it. A lot of feedback on on the, the Spark Sport thing. Um, and, you know, look, it's going to change. It's going to go to TVNZ and uh, we'll just see how the ratings improve. I think it's from the end of July onwards. So our next home summer will be fully available by the sounds of it, free to air. Um, and so for everyone, it's, uh, it's open slather, it's available. I'm not quite sure what channels they'll put it on. Um, I think Duke is one of them they're lining up, and I'm not quite sure how many of uh, the very big games will be on, um, on free-to-air in terms of Channel 1 or Channel 2. I don't know. They'll have to structure that. Melody Robinson and the team will structure that, I'm sure, um, and they'll come up with uh, something which is a lot more suitable um, to the average viewer than it currently clearly is. So uh, it was a failure, and uh, I'll be interested to see too what they do with the radio rights um, as a result of Today FM having to close its uh, operation down just recently. Uh, the cricket rights then on the radio come up for grabs, but I understand that they will meet their commitments till the end of this series. But after that, who knows? So the last two deals have sort of turned to custard a wee bit in terms of longevity, haven't they? Uh, financially, don't know those details. It is uh, 10.49 here on SENZ. Uh, yes, Smithy Bowden hasn't been the player he used to be since being released by the Hurricanes. You can see how, um, and you now see why the Hurricanes released him. A good call by the Hurricanes, so it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I often think about uh, the really good players when they start not taking the ball to the line is because 
quite frankly, they're starting to shy away from too much contact. Um, and whether they, it's because they're carrying an injury, whether their body is just telling them, uh, I don't need this um, to the extent it used to be, um, I'm not sure. But at the moment, that's what people are observing about his game, Bowden Barrett, that he's just not uh, the challenge with ball in hand, Brian, that he was. Yeah, you, you know what he needs, Smithy? He needs the same talk Sean Johnson got from Webster. He needs Webster to talk to him. Because look what he's done to Sean. It is amazing. And you put that straight down to Andrew Webster, do you? And how much of this do you put down to Andrew Webster? Because there's a coach and there's a coaching consortium here. Yeah, I put it ultimately down to him because most of them were there last year. And uh, Sean was not the same player, you, you know? I mean, two of them I knew, Webster and Agar, as far as I can remember. Maybe I'm forgetting someone. But the rest of them were there, and they couldn't get that out of Sean. So I would say uh, possibly Richard Agar, we had that interview with him, and he seems like a very onto-it man too. So possibly between the two of them. But both of those guys should go see Leon over at Blues HQ and maybe just give him a few tips on how to get their uh, once the world's best rugby player firing again. Yeah, well, it's twice, I think, he won it, didn't he? I think Bowden Barrett won, yeah, won a twice. World Rugby Player of the Year twice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Mark has come in and said, Ken's Blues just not up to it. They're bloody lucky to make the playoffs now. They're on a slippery slope. That's um, what Mark is saying. I'm not quite sure that um, we're at that stage, um, to be sure, Brian, but uh, certainly they've got to be winning those games. Yeah, You've got to be winning those games. And now that they will know behind the behind the scenes that Leon McDonald probably won't be their head coach next year, by all accounts. Yeah, you reckon he's already um, clocked out? Oh no, I don't think he's Surely clocked not. out. I, I don't think he'd clock out because he's a pro and he's a professional. But you know, I mean, in the back of his mind, um, he's going on to bigger, better things. So mm. uh, maybe that reflects in, in some of their performances. Marshy's come in from Hawke's Bay and said. Um, Smithy, great comeback by the Warriors. Jasta Vanga was my pick for runs and tackles. Had to step up with Tohu Harris out. That was a good, strong performance too from uh, Tavanga. Oh, yeah, the Bald Brothers, eh? They look brilliant in there. It was, I think it was a great move getting Volkman out and putting the other Bald Brother in the halves as well. Okay, uh, they're calling the shots then. They're making good calls from the, uh, the coach's box as well during the game, which is backing up the action on the field. But to turn that around yesterday was something extra, extra special. Uh, Vossiel had plenty to say about that. He called it, um, and uh, he'll be liking what he sees because uh, I think uh, they quite like having a good Warriors and competitive Warriors team in the NRL. Uh, we'll get to that very shortly, um, and we'll take a quick break and come back with maybe some EPL scores from the weekend. Right, as uh, so we head towards the 11 o'clock news, so we've got time to check in uh, with uh, Paul Mowati, who has had uh, uh, a very busy weekend. Uh, first of all, Paul, congratulations, a successful owner over the weekend. Yeah, thank you, Smitty. Yeah, um, always good to get a win under the belt. It's, it's been a, a, a bit of time between drinks, but yeah, very happy with the performance of winning for all in the uh, first race at Avondale on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you got plenty. Uh, there were a I'm not sure if too many people got plenty when the track started to change nature over the weekend because uh, some of those divvies just blew out a wee bit in some of the bigger races. Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess when you're we're at this time of the year where the sort of weather starts to change and the tracks are a wee bit off and uh, they can deteriorate during the day, it does get a wee bit difficult. But uh, for those who backed uh, Pignon, um, well done to you. Um, I, I hope Christian Cullen had a few dollars on. Um, and, and of course, across the ditch, 
uh, I wish I win. Uh, picking up a, a group one there and uh, looking very, very good too in the uh, TJ Smith. So some very, very good performances by Kiwis. What's on the plate this Monday? A bit of uh, MLB is uh, floating around too now these days. It's underway. Yeah, it is underway. Yeah, it's just uh, sort of caught up on us, uh, Smitty. So there's a, a full card of uh, Major League Baseball uh, there for punters to get stuck into. Of course, the NBA still going on as well. And um, the Masters, not too far away now. This weekend it kicks off. The favourite at the moment with us, Rory McIlroy at $8. Well, he's co-favourite with Scotty Scheffler, the defending champ, also $8. Johnny Rahm's at 10 Jordan Spieth at $17. Brilliant. Okay, more about that during the week. Be back uh, very shortly with Andrew Voss to talk NRL and those amazing Warriors. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yep, uh, let's go through those NRL scores, shall we? Uh, The Roosters 28, the Eels 20, Panthers 53, Raiders 12, Storm 18, Rabbitohs 10, Seagulls and the Knights. What a thriller that was. 12 tries, 32 apiece. The Dragons uh, ripping the ration card of the Dolphins uh, with a very comfortable win over them. So on form, that was an upset because, of course, the Dragons got dealt to uh, the week before uh, by the Sharks. Uh, We'll get to that one very shortly. The Broncos very convincing over the West Tigers, who are in a real mess, it seems. Uh, The Bulldogs, 15. The Cowboys, 14. Uh, Terrific result for uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs there. And, of course, um, the last one uh, that was uh, the one that really, I think, was the glossy one for us uh, was 32-30. And uh, to talk about round five of the NRL um, and that 32-all draw, which was a thriller. And the Warriors come back, of course, as uh, our very own uh, Andrew Voss, who is uh, out with a brother station in Sydney. He's been uh, busy all morning um, with uh, Randy Alexander. I think he works with you on Mondays. Um, Vossie, what was your take over the weekend's rugby league? First of all, uh, Brandy wore the warrior, full Warriors kit um, from 1995 today. Oh. He's uh, not the former Panther. He's the former Warrior uh, today. I even thought there was a little twang <laughs> on his... Uh, he didn't say six. He was more six this morning. So um, he was every bit a Kiwi. It's amazing. We have an open line here. And, of course, you know, through SEN, we've got a great app. You can be heard anywhere in the world. We took so many calls from across the ditch this morning on a program coming out of a Sydney studio. Um, Kiwi fans um, really proud of their team, and so they should be. Um, am I sounding like a broken record but it's positive the resilient yeah, they have found resilience the Warriors and calling the game yesterday even at 20 nil, I kept remarking that they, they weren't folding up their tent like they were still going about the way they wanted to play and they stuck at it now I wasn't going to predict that they were going to come back from 20 down and win but you could see the resolve and the resilience of this side. Things weren't going their way. They had only like 30% of the ball and they were end of a, on the end of a side running hot and attack and it was 20-0. But there's something about this team. It's, uh, it was amazing to watch. It was an incredible game and would certainly be up in their top 10 wins all time, I would think. I would think so too, particularly in the situation they found themselves at the end of uh, last season. Uh, we're starting yep. to pay True. the believers over here, I can tell you that. Um, so, right, um, you, you looked at it uh, through that. You, obviously, uh, you had it um, through your commentator's eyes as, as well. What are, what are you seeing and what is Brandy seeing that is, is different this time around? You mentioned resilience, but resilience is fine. There's got to be skill attached to that. Oh, absolutely. Well, Sean Johnson's leading a resurgence, um, first of all. Um, 
Sean Johnson, the game manager, yesterday, as well as the brilliance. And we don't often get the two. Um, so all bar a kick for line, which didn't find touch from the penalty. And you thought, oh, oh boy, that's a blunder. But um, that was really the only part of the game. Sean Johnson, so in tune with the game, he ran the side and he ran them all the way to victory. So that's good. You look at the Warriors' spine. Boy, have they got things sorted. Chance Nickel star. I could have given him man of the match yesterday. Just a tough game played by the fullback. Threw himself in um, to, you know, one-out hit-ups. Not just kick returns. I thought he was fantastic. Wade Egan never played better at hooker. Um, also getting some reward with a few uh, four-pointers, which is very nice. And, and yesterday, um, you know, throw into the mix, no Torhu Harris, Tamari Martin, being two of their best and you have that depth. You have players that can come. Now, Ronald Volkman didn't set the world on fire, and that's where Johnson was impressive. But Volkman still had his good touches yesterday. He was under assault in defence with the Sharks running an edge at him. He's a tough little rooster, Ron Volkman. Don't worry about that. And Jazz Tavunga, well, I could have given him man of the match. I mean, he stepped up and played one of the best games of his life. He was so tough. Played himself to a standstill. So depth is there. Spine there. Key playmakers doing well. And all the new recruits are contributing. Like, they've, they've bought very well as a collective, haven't they, the Warriors? The, the players they sign in the off-season are all contributing big things to the club. Mm, they are, actually. And it looks like they've got this coaching structure quite, nice for, quite nicely set up there. It's not very often you have an interim head coach go back into a role underneath uh, someone like an Andrew Webster. I'm talking Stacey Jones here, but they feel so confident. We interviewed Stacey Yard towards the end of last week, and he just sounded so good in his role. Yeah, well, that's right. It, to me, there is there, here's a comparison, and apologies to Tigers fans listening, but from the outside looking in, you are a little confused on the messaging, the Tigers to their players, the Tim Sheens, Benji Marshall, Robbie Farrah dynamic. How is it working? But there's none of those doubts with the Warriors. It's quite obvious, and it's been obvious from the very first pre-season challenge game that we saw the Warriors ironically play the Tigers, that they have bought into whatever Andrew Webster and his coaching staff have put forward to their team, and they are doing it. And there's this consistency and resilience, and then you throw in the skill. Like, players like Viley are out the setters, and Corsi, I mean, they're, they're still rookies, really, but they're getting better and better by the week, and there's a toughness about them. Um, so lots of good signs, loads of good signs for the Warriors. Can't wait to call their next game, which is a big one, on Sunday mm. against the Newcastle Knights. A Sunday night game up in Newcastle. Knights are playing some pretty good footy too. Um, we get a dry track Sunday night under lights. That could be an abs- that could be the best game of the round just about. Oh, it's a massive Sunday night. I was just thinking because Monday's a holiday um, over here yeah. with Easter. So, God, God, I mean, my pub was rocking last night, I can promise you. Absolutely <laughs> rocking. Okay, right. uh, you called the game, obviously, Vossi. We had you loud and clear last night in the pub. And um, the referees um, and the hip drop tackle, what are you making of that uh, and the impact that had on the game? Well, first and foremost, I, um, I hate the process. I, I hate it in, in relation to the Murata Niyakore one. To play at a set. The whistleblowers, and none of us knew. No one knew. The players didn't know. We as commentators didn't have an idea. The fans didn't have an idea. That the bunkers there, while the set's playing out, going back, finding a tackle. Pedantic, looking for something that I didn't even think was a hip-drop tackle anyway. I mean, it was a player trying to stop a raging rhinoceros in Sifatalakai running away, and he's just dragging and he's hanging on for dear life. So I hate the process that unless it's something 
really bad in back play, Smithy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, a king hit or an elbow to the jaw or something like that. I don't want the video referee going back and then going back to an incident five tackles earlier. No, that's, that's not their job as far as I'm concerned. That's the match review committee. If it's missed in the run of play by the ref and the sideline officials, we play on. We don't go back. But secondly, on the hip drop, I think, and it has to happen as soon as today, and Greg Alexander was a real driver of this this morning, they have to go back to the officials and look at why we, we started analysing these tackles in the first place and look at the genuine hip drop tackles back then that set alarm bells ringing to where we find ourselves now and what we're ruling on. They're not the same. You know, that, that was not an intentional... Um, it, it, it just wasn't a hip drop tackle. It was a tackle of a desperate man trying to tackle a bloke sprinting away. It was one-on-one. Um, no way should a player be penalised in that situation. And boy, oh boy, being sinbin for 10, what a penalty. So I think we're, we've reached a bit of a crisis point in terms of uh, how we are judging hip drop tackles. By all means, stamp them out. But work out what is and what isn't, please. Right, okay. Let's, uh, there were, believe it or not, there were other games on over the weekend. Yes, no, um, but it That's just, right. yeah, there were. And they, we go back as far as Thursday with the Roosters uh, and the Eels. That was a cracker. And then the Panthers. Is this uh, over the Raiders? Is this normal transmission resumed all of a sudden, or the Raiders got real issues? All right. Well, I have the Roosters as a heavyweight. Um, the Eels have worries, but I think they're still. I still thought they played okay the other night. Now they're one and four. Um, so mm. no, I enjoyed the contest. Tedesco out now for mandatory eleven days. That's a loss for the Roosters with a concussion. The Panthers win over the Raiders was very good. I think. The Raiders contributed to that. They were very meek. Ricky Stewart um, apologised to the fans after the performance. You know, Penrith got in a roll, and there's a lot of skill, but it was only 13-6 at halftime, Smithy. You know, they've put on 40 mm. points in the second half on Canberra's home ground. That's hard to cop if you're a Raiders fan. So Raiders have issues. Penrith, for mine, I will stand by it. They are not as potent as last year or the year before with no kick-out or Coruscant but they put a poor side away, and the Raiders were poor in the second half. Storm 18, Rabbitohs 10. Oh, tough. Tough win. And Craig Bellamy, you know, has said things like the team doesn't care about his own players lately, not enough effort in the effort areas. The no talent required areas is basically where it's just effort. You know, anyone can put in effort, and he was accusing his players of being short on effort. Um, well, the effort was there in bucket loads the other night, and the superstars also played their part, didn't they? Cameron Munster, Harry Grant, superb. Um, Storm, that's a really tough win against the Rabideau side that is now two and three. So, um, you know, you, you've got them, you rate them highly, but they're two wins, three losses. They'd like to square the ledger uh, this weekend, and it's it's not going to be easy um, for the Rabbitohs going into this round with a match against Canterbury on Friday. Mm, very interesting. Um, as was... Yeah, sea Eagles 32, the Knights 32. You don't see too many draws in the NRL these days with Golden Point. 12-try thriller I've got written down. Yeah, exactly. Well well written, well summed up. 90 minutes. Um, they could have played for 120, had me glued to the screen. Uh, and I tell you what, I'll give a big rap to Dom Young. Um, at the World Cup, he was brilliant. It must have been such a comeback to earth to be dropped from first grade in the NRL <laughs> last week. He comes back into first grade and scores four tries. Yeah, good on him. Um, Dom Young, who's on his way out, of course, at the end of the year uh, to the Roosters. Um, the match itself, Knights are showing a bit of resilience. You know, you, you look at all their matches this year and they've had some injuries to deal with and 
um, some results. Um, they've still got a long way to go, but uh, I think they're on the way up on what they've shown. And it was high entertainment. Manly's got some work to do too. I, I, there were 16 line breaks in the game, uh, Smithy. So obviously defence needs to be looked at, but I just loved it for the entertainment. I thought it was great. You see, it's such a hard competition to pick this at the moment, Vossi. If you just say you're a casual punter and you're looking at form, etc. Now, the second half performance last week of the Dragons was woeful, woeful against the Sharks. Then they turn around and beat the hot pot, you know, the hot pots, the Dolphins, and mince them 38 to 12. It's just so hard to pick. Yeah, there were circumstances for the Dolphins. So, um, you know, they've lost Sean O'Sullivan and now um, Milford goes down with hamstring injury. But the way the Dragons went about the work was like, this is a really good side. Like, they put the Dolphins to the sword um, from a 12-8 halftime advantage and, and just didn't give them a chance. Nine line breaks. They dropped only five balls, the Dragons. So they went from being, you've, you're so true, Smithy, when you say the previous Sunday night against Cronulla, they were woeful. They went to really disciplined and really good to watch. Their brand of football was really good. It's like they flicked a switch. No, I, I, I loved what the Dragons did and, um, you know, hard to work out, but uh, you take a win and now they play the Titans, you know, they might get back-to-back wins and suddenly they, they are in the eight. <laughs> what a crazy competition. One week they're sacking mm. their coach, two weeks later they're back-to-back wins sitting in the eight. Um, well, you, you mentioned a nice little segue here because in a lot of sports, um, uh, a West Tigers-type uh, franchise in other sports, there would be a serious look at the coaching structure of this. I mean, you know, EPL set coaches like, you know, they have um, toast for breakfast, but um, <laughs> these guys have got to be under have got to be under serious pressure now to come up with something. 46-12. Broncos yeah. were very good, but but 28 nil at half time and it's the um and and I look at the pattern of the tries. Did you did you see that? Um there were there were tries basically every 5 minutes. It was like it's ding try. It was the 10th minute, the 15th minute, the 20th, the 30th, and the 35th in the first half. That, I, I can't remember a sequence like that ever. It was just these regular intervals. When you talk about resilience, you like to see it over a period of time. It, it, like a team can still trail 18-0, but you'd like to think that for a 20-minute period, they, you know, they, they, they really fought in the contest, and then it got away from the other team, maybe scored two or three tries in a row. But Tigers' first half, it was just regular intervals for the Broncos, and it's all done and dusted. By half time, it ends up eight tries to two. No, serious dramas there. I'm like they've made changes already. I four weeks in, I couldn't believe that Brandon Wakem was now the first choice halfback and Adam Dewey to fullback, and that hasn't made any difference at all. Appy Corrissau is trying his heart out to the point where he's trying too hard. I've got to say, you know, Zoe um, Papali nowhere near the player he was at Parramatta. He, I don't know. You'd have to sit him down and see is he happy? What's what's gone wrong, or is he not fitting into what they're asking him to do? But there's not the same quality in his work. The effort's there, and there's quantity to a degree, but not the quality. So there's so many issues at the Tigers. It would be a grim place to be, and it, you know, rain in Sydney all this week, and they've got to prepare for a Monday game against Parramatta, where they won last year. Um, Smithy, if they could draw on history, they get up by a point last year against Parramatta. So maybe history can repeat, but that's all they're clinging to this week. And just to finish it all off, when we thought we couldn't have enough drama or enough cliffhangers in the, the, mm. the, a weekend of rugby league, Bulldogs 15, Cowboys 14. Amazing. Just amazing, Smithy. Um, uh, you know, the Cowboys aren't what they were. That's first got to be established. But they were... Um, leading this game for a good chunk of it, albeit not by a great many points. But you would have thought they're going to get home. 
Um, Matt Burton uh, had had you know, hitting the post to win the game in regulation time. Amazing drama, and then the actual field goal, how it unfolded, and just it's just a snap. It's a snap for field goal from what thirty five out, five in from touch. Mm. What a kick! What a moment for Canterbury. Um, you know. Uh, they're singing and dancing. They'll be smiling all week. I mean, the place will be buzzing this week. The haves and the have-nots in the competition. How grim it would beat the Tigers. As the crow flies in Sydney, you can drive from one suburb to the other in about 15 minutes. One, it would be, it would be lonely. It would, they would not be jumping around at the Bulldogs. They would be buzzing. They would be loving each other's company today. Now, it was one of the great finishes in a weekend of some amazing finishes in in the end of five rounds of Football Smithy, um, I've had Cameron Smith on the program this morning. I work with Greg Alexander. We're all declaring it as good, if not the best start to a season we've ever had. For theatre and drama and great rugby league, this is as good as we've ever had. Oh, I totally agree. And uh, we always compare it over here because we're not in this uh, luxurious situation of of uh, talking about a Warriors side which is performing so well. Not that often anyway. We're always yep. comparing uh, levels of interest here with Super Rugby. And at the moment, I think it's fair to say the Warriors are dominating here. What about on that side of the Tasman? Yeah, oh, well, just, just the volume, of course. People talking. The Warriors have become relevant to the competition again and people are talking about them. Um, you know, the key, they've come out of the woodwork and, and so they should. Yeah, these have been very rough years and not getting to play at home. I bet you there's Warriors fans at the moment can't wait um, for the next home game against the Cowboys in round number seven. Um, that's that's one you want to get to. So mark it down in your diary. Saturday, April 15 at Mount Smart, Warriors and Cowboys. That is your next home game. And who knows, it might be with a, what, a fifth win for the season under your belt. How good would that be? That would be amazing. Uh, they double up, of course, against um, uh, the Newcastle Knights. You talked about that a little earlier on. So there, there's a chance there as well. What games are you covering this weekend, Voss? Have you got your roster? Smithy, can I say what games aren't I covering? Um, I think I think I'm doing I think I'm doing four actually. I think um, I might be. Well, I'm definitely doing Warriors on Sunday night against Newcastle, and can't wait for that. But before that, Storm and Roosters, um, Cowboys, Dolphins on Good Friday, and I'll brush home with the Easter Monday game, Tigers and Eels. So, uh, living the dream, Smithy, living the dream, watching the best sport in the world. Thank you. What about the Johns Dynasty? I, I meant to ask you the Johns Dynasty and the Knights and the Eagles. Yeah. They swapped jerseys at the end. Uh, Jack Johns, Cooper Johns. That was that was a great moment. And Jack getting a try. Uh, Maddie made the trip out to Mudgee. Now Mudgee's about a oh, four-hour drive from Sydney over the Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. And then you, you you turn right and head north. Um, it's quite a trip. But that was a that was a great family moment. They're terrific characters. Gee, they're good fellas. Cooper's a Cooper's a hoot. He'll have his own show one day. He'll, he'll, in fact. Matt Johns will be bumped off air when Cooper gets when he retires. Cooper will take his show. He's that talented, and Jack's the straight one, but he's got a bit of weirdness about him too. And no, nah, that was a that was a you know rugby league throws up a lot of good stories, and there's another one. Jack v Cooper. They thought they'd never do it, and they swapped jerseys at the end just in case they never come up against each other again. So well done to the to the young fellas. Yeah, absolutely, great little dynasty there. And uh, I tell you what, it's a hot story over here, rugby league at the moment, Vossi. Uh, and long may it continue for the league supporters. Hey, cheers, man. Uh, fantastic review of the weekend. We'll, we'll catch up uh, perhaps <laughs> next Monday. Maybe not next Monday because I might have Monday off. I'm not sure about that. Well, I was trying my darndest to get that. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Oh. Yeah, 
well, you're the boss, you're the man over there in New Zealand. No, but to our <laughs> listeners, on a serious note, keep listening to SENZ because, you know, we, yeah. we, we can talk sport all day and rugby league. You can get a platform if you want to come on and just tell us about how bright the sun's shining. Like, just, just speak in a positive sense about the Warriors. How good's that? <laughs> it's been a while. How, it has been a how while. Good, how good's that? I mean, for instance, I've been pumping the Warriors up for the last month and a half and building up their pre-season. Bloody Cameron George, they're coming to my hometown in Napier. Cameron George has offered me a couple of tickets and one pie with some sauce on oh. it. What's that about? Well, at least you've got something. <laughs> at least you've got I'll something, enjoy the pie. Yeah, I'll exactly. enjoy the pie in the league, you know that, so it's cool. Okay, Vossi, have a terrific week, mate, and thanks so much again, as always. Will do. Bring on the next round. Starts Thursday night. Get yes, down. it does. It does. It's just, it's just a day or two away. Uh, Andrew Voss there, folks, uh, out of uh, SEM. Very busy. He uh, gives three hours of his very best in uh, his Sydney show and then gives us uh, 20 minutes of his time as well, which we are eternally grateful for. It is uh, coming up to uh, time where we go to the sports desk, and that'll happen next. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. When Brian's on the sports desk, we have to talk a little bit of pugilism. And in the UK, there was plenty of interest in the comeback fight for Anthony Joshua yesterday. One on points, but not that, not really that thrilling. No, no, not not very spectacular. There were some good moments, um, some hard fighting. I mean, you know, he's good, and, and he's proved it. He's been world champion. But uh, I don't think he's as good as he thinks he is. You know, it's one of those ones. Um, he, he, he acquitted himself well, but he's kind of scared of losing was kind of the vibe I got from him. Like, I'm just going to outpoint this guy, outwork him, because I can, um, and not take too many chances. You know, um, they go, well, of course, he's with Matchroom Boxing, right? Eddie Hearn, who um, has a link with, I'm not sure if you know this, Smithy, but he has a link with our great mate Dean Lonergan um, and Matchroom Boxing by signing uh, Dean's old charge, Justice Hooney. Uh, now works and spars par- as part of that stable there, so he'll be coming up. But we go back to this AJ fight. So he did get it done on points. Uh, it was a good tune-up bout. Now Eddie wants him to fight Dillian White next. Dillian White gets every fight. Everyone's fought Dillian White. It's um, He is apparently the hardest uh, hitter, but uh, some say he's the hardest sparer in uh, heavyweight boxing. So I don't know if we want to see that one again. Do we want to see AJ and Dillian White if he does that? There is talk about the Battle of Britain. Now, everybody knows that is uh, Tyson Fury and AJ. Now, Tyson's also making eyes back at Francis Ngannou, the former UFC champion who's now crossed over to boxing, who is in talks with Deontay Wilder's camp for a fight that they're going to build the, the hardest hitter in boxing. Man, what a circus boxing has become. Too many governing bodies. Um, there's just too too many uh, cooks. And uh, what is it? Too many head chefs, not enough cooks? I don't know what the saying is, but... Um, too many... Too many, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're dead right. Yeah, too many, too many cooks in the kitchen. So get the hell out. But you know, you can best assure that the likes of Mr. Lonergan and Mr. Hearn will be loving it. Oh, for sure, for sure. Just bathing it. I wouldn't mind getting Lonergan back on for a talk soon if he's got a got a fight coming up. He's always good. Um, he's always good, good banter. But the other thing that I found quite interesting about that was that was AJ's first non-title fight since 2015, and I thought without that pressure. Of the titles on him, he'd go for it, but he just kind of, he, he disappointed me. 
Mm, absolutely. And uh, what about Israel Adesanya? Yes. Been a bit quiet for a while? He has. Our own style bender after Luke dropping the belt to his uh, nemesis, uh, Alex Pajeda, is um, challenging for it again this weekend in Miami, UFC 287. Uh, be Sunday our time in New Zealand now. We all know the history here, and if you don't, just quickly. They've had three fights before, two in kickboxing. Izzy had been winning all three of those until he wasn't anymore, and he's lost all three of those. Uh, one of them robbed by the judges, two of them knocked out. So basically in this one here, Izzy is the better technical fighter, and it's showing that Pereira has the bigger heart of the two. He can walk down anybody like like Robocop would. Um, the thing I think Izzy needs to do here is get it done quickly. He had... He had Alex on skates in the first round at the end of the first round, but he waited too long. I don't think Izzy can wait too long. He's, he may outpoint him again, but if you wait till that fifth round, for some reason that Brazilian just finds a spark. He gets his third, fourth, fifth wind and will uh, has shown that he can knock out the style bender. Smithy. Okay. Excellent stuff from the sports desk there. Uh, we'll catch you up on some EPL results from this morning and a bit of football over the weekend in the next half hour. But it's time to solicit some calls because it is uh, time for Stump Smithy. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811 is the phone number. Chance uh, to kick off your week with a $50 bonus bet from the TAB. Here's Aroha with the news. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, he is very top class at his job, unless he's making a clip for a Minty's ad. Uh, but it is that time of of the day uh, where we give away fifty bucks. Smithy, how are you? how are you feeling about today's chances? I I, I back myself today. Um, I back myself most days, and yes. then get horribly disappointed. But I'm talking of Minty's moments. What do you reckon, Bowden Barrett? Oh, Bowden Barrett at the weekend. Yeah, it's a Minty's moment. Yeah, isn't it? it stirs memories of uh, Sonny Bill Williams Rugby League World Cup against the uh, Samoan team in those short, um, those, those those short dead balls. Dead ball yep, just yeah, going yeah. over too far. Uh, the the boating one I found super interesting was because he, he's the kicker and he's trying to improve it for himself. Why don't you just improve your kicking, mate? I don't know. Hey, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> just put the ball down, son. Put yeah. the ball down. Right now, who's first up for us this morning, Brian? So first up to the crease, we have, uh, I believe it is Dave from Cambridge. Come in, Dave. All good, guys? Yep, pretty good, mate. What, what was your high, highlight of the weekend, Dave? Uh, definitely the Chiefs win, mate. Chiefs, yeah, they're the looking pretty solid. The, had, the position the Blues had in the second half, um, uh, the Chiefs did really well to hold them out. Yeah. They 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 look uh, they look a pretty polished unit. Kate McMillan's got them dialing up the right numbers at the moment. Right uh, for Dave, what are the subjects uh, this morning, Brian? Okay, Dave, for you today we have golf, Formula One, and cricket. Jeez, whenever I bring up, there's never rugby. Um, we'll that's go... because when you that's because when you ring up, Dave, uh, we ban rugby. <laughs> Well, that's the only one I'm any good at. Um, we'll go... Oh, geez, cricket, Smithy, you'll be spot on with. Uh, I'll go Formula One. Formula One. All right, so... Aroha's not around. Well, now you say that. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. So, so I take it you're going to take that whole angle that people take, oh, let's, let's hope Smithy knows nothing about this and... Um, 
and and you take the money. It's it's a soulless win, but hey, if that's the tactics you like to use, it is tactics available to you in this game. You like the Wayne Bennett of this game, finding loopholes. But here we go. That's it. That didn't help me last week anyway, so. No, and we see how you go right here. Um, first question for Formula One. The Australian Grand Prix has been running since 1928 with 23 different venues used across the country. It has been a feature in Melbourne since 1996. So it's been there every time since 1996. Where was it held in 1995? Oh, jeez, I couldn't tell you this one. Um, I'll just go Adelaide. Adelaide. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. You pick the retirement village of Australia and nail it. That's the only one. Wow, Smithy, did you have that one? Yeah, I nailed it. Had it absolutely nailed. I thought I was home and eyes there. No, okay, yeah, right, it's question two. Nice, to the mast. Okay, who does Aussie Formula One driver Oscar Piastri drive for? Oscar, who? Uh, I know there's one, McLaren. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Back over the bowler's head for six. I'm having a shocker. Uh, last question. Who has won the most Australian Grand Prix all time? Oh, no. Well, I don't know this one. Um, I'm going to say... Uh, Shoemaker. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Three in a row. Let, let's go home, Smithy. We're done. <laughs> that, that, that is just ridiculous. Absolutely two, ridiculous. Two guesses there. Adelaide, I'm the only course, the other course I knew. And Schumacher's my favourite driver, so. Absolutely unbelievable how you got us there. I just... I feel like the old dark destroyer on the on the chase when someone just flukes their way through it just it, it hurts it really does. However, you I'll stay on the line. I'll take it. <laughs> I know you will. You got uh, no compassion, Dave. Uh, stay on the line, and uh, Robbie will take your details this morning. Make sure we can get that money to you as soon as possible, mate. Thanks for taking part. Beautiful. Thanks, lads. Yes, uh, we'll be back very shortly um, with some uh, other information for you. Yeah, we never had a chance to catch up with uh, Louis Herman Watt, um, being a Monday, of course, but uh, there was some terrific racing on over the weekend. Uh, of course, Pignon winning the Manor Two Sires Produce Stakes for Lisa Ladder and uh, uh, Joe Doyle, um, the Irish jockey, and uh, aren't our uh, jockeys, quality of our jockeys being added to by imported jockeys at the moment? Uh, Warren Kennedy, of course, and Joe Doyle. Exactly had to go home, but um, really. Uh, they are leaving an impression, um, and it's great for racing in this country, and it's very, very much needed. Across the Tasman, they don't have um, uh, any trouble at all with uh, quality jockeys and uh, any number of them, and they are always to the fore on the big days, the really big days, including uh, Randwick at the weekend. Tommy Smith, the TJ Smith. Uh, the track changed throughout the day. It was um, a decent track, a good track in the morning. Uh, and then, of course, uh, as the rain kicked in in uh, Sydney around Randwick uh, area, it uh, turned out to be a heavy eight, and then um, <coughs> all hell let loose, to be fair, I think, in terms of the form in particular. But um, the track was suitable, but I wish I won.
Giga kick five lengths away. Nature Strip, the world champion sprinter, trying to defend the mark. Mazu's the first to challenge. Nature Strip, Mazu. Giga kick lengthening. And I wish I win down the outside. I wish I win. Went past Giga kick, Mazu. I wish I win from last. A spectacular TJ win. I wish I win. Knocked off Giga kick and Mazu. 600 metres to run. Well, that was uh, the Luke Nolan, uh, of course, uh, combination with uh, Peter Moody. Um, and that's the Black Caviar combination as well. And, of course, uh, Peter Moody at, uh, after the race uh, paying tribute to the Chittick family as well and their involvement in the horse too. So that was the TJ Smith. Uh, one of the other highlights uh, on the day was um, uh, the Doncaster time-honoured event. And uh, this one went to uh, Mr Brightside. Zoo gotcha in front from Nugget the outside and Mr Brightside is really starting to lengthen now. Mr Brightside moved up to join Nugget. Then came Osipenko, Mustang Valley and my Obron bursting through. Mr Brightside in front from my Obron. Mr Brightside lifting and goes back to back. Mr Brightside held on from my Obron. So there you have it, uh, Mr Brightside. Of course, Zach Purton in the saddle there uh, for the Hayes stable. Uh, the derby was the third... Uh, the third feature on the day. Uh, won by Major Beal at $54, a real indication of just where the track was at. That was for uh, Tim Clark and uh, the Waterhouse Spot stable there. So they were the, the massive uh, Group 1 races that uh, we look forward to in the first day of championship racing in the New South Wales or Sydney Carnival. So um, <clears throat> plenty more to look forward to. Coming up in terms of football uh, this morning, you may have uh, or may not have heard the two results this morning out of the EPL. West Ham 1, Southampton 0, uh, Newcastle upsetting Manchester United 2-0. Uh, so uh, that, uh, another just another nail in the season for Manchester United on the back of uh, the two form horses having really good wins over the weekend. Manchester United, uh, another big win. Uh, Liverpool conceding 4-4-1. Four, four, uh, Arsenal, of course, maintaining their position at the top of the table with the same margin win over Leeds United. Uh, other matches, uh, born with two, Fulham 1. Nottingham Forest 1, Wolves 1, Brighton 3, Brentford 3 at the six-goal draw there. Uh, Chelsea losing, um, and of course uh, the manager is gone as a result of that. Uh, Aston Villa beating them 2-0. So they were the results over the weekend. And tomorrow morning, uh, Everton uh, are in action against the Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, and of course on the domestic front, the Phoenix uh, conceding in an early lead um, when they were 1-0 up and the Melbourne victory coming back and beating them 2-1. Uh, Oscar Zavada scoring his 13th goal of the season in the 25th minute. Uh, and then, uh, of course, the second half was uh, a different story altogether. Um, <clears throat> and the women's uh, Phoenix scoring a 96th minute equaliser to draw two all with the Melbourne victory. So uh, two or three really uh, good results from them of late. Pritchard and Wisniewski, uh, the goal scorers there. The yeah, problem for the Phoenix scoring uh, or conceding two set-piece goals which is uh, not a very good sign at all. Texts uh, that have come in as well this morning, we've had uh, quite a few in, um, and uh, I'll read the, the Palmerston North one, a crowd one with uh, Staffy very shortly. Uh, Ken says, uh, Ken's the Blues man, of course. So they wouldn't get too carried away. It's not like the Blues have been crushed in any of those games like the Crusaders were. We will be, be, at, we will be there, trust me. It's only a matter of time when it clicks. Watch out, says Ken. Wouldn't go, uh, wouldn't be a, a Monday without getting a uh, reaction from Ken over a Blues performance. Uh, but Jeremy says, uh, you might take notice of this, uh, Ken, there is something going on team-wise. 
While Bowden made his mistakes, he did help give them plenty of chances. The Blues forward pack is not great around the park. What, but I do think Barrett would be better now as a conventional fullback and let Perifeta run the game. That Chiefs team is outstanding at the moment. That uh, from Jeremy. So mixed reactions there. And um, how, I, I, this is from Pete. Never saw the Warriors game yesterday, but I think Ronald Volkman did a job for them, Brian. Uh, and the role for, um, of course, uh, Tamari Martin, who can come in again next week after a stand-down period. But uh, Volkman did a job. Yeah, you yeah, know, he, he did a job, but I think, like, people were expecting more from him. You can't expect Tamari stuff from a bloke in his first year. Uh, like, to what Tamari's done for their team's understated, and it, you, you kind of saw it with that blowout of the scoreline and the closeness of that game. Uh, but, no, Volkman did nothing that he should be ashamed of. Uh, a lot of things he can learn from, a lot of lessons to take from that game for him, but he will only be better, yeah. Yep, okay, uh, pass mark for Ronald Volkman, but yes, Tamari Martin back for this uh, next Sunday night's clash um, against the Newcastle Knights. Already beaten them once here in New Zealand. How will they go over there after that thrill of it uh, Newcastle had with uh, the Manly Sea Eagles over the weekend? Right, we will uh, catch up with Staffy very shortly. I'd like to talk about uh, that beautiful crowd that seemed to be at uh, Palmerston North yesterday at uh, FMG Stadium, I think it's in Palmerston North as well. Um, and uh, they look like they were, I wouldn't say packed to the rafters, but a healthy crowd. All my friends know the low rider. The low rider. Oh, a bit of music to introduce Staffy, and it's got him going early on a Monday. I can tell you that. Um, a couple of texts come in just to say, however, was Ivan Rousel's behaviour in the pub after the Warriors won. I just say Ivan Rouse's behaviour is the same, awful all the time. Right, okay, um, Staffy, here's one you'll be interested in. Um, a, a text to come in. With all the chat about Super Rugby fading, it was yesterday in Palmerston North, not a 100% blueprint of what to do. Why aren't more games played in the regions? If I know that in Auckland I'm going to get concerts, all-black tests, black cap games, etc. Why would I waste my money on Super Rugby? The all-blacks, the red-hot chilli peppers and black caps will never play in Napier, Palmy, Nelson, Whangarei. So they'll support and love Super Rugby being taken there, whatever the reason. New Zealand have a very poor, poor commercial, New Zealand rugby have a very poor commercial outlook on Super Rugby. It is better to have 10,000 in Palmy than 6,000 in the cake. And Palmerston looked good yesterday. It really did. Look fantastic, Smithy. And they don't get the big the big events. And admittedly, it is only an hour and a half from Wellington. But having a game like that in your own backyard um, <clears throat> is brilliant. And let's be honest, it wasn't the top Hurricanes team, certainly not going up against one of the top other teams. <clears throat> but, the, but the provinces would embrace it. We had a call a couple of weeks ago saying, why didn't the Blues take the force game when they played at exactly the same time as the Warriors, near enough to, send it to Whangarei? And, and mm. fill up O'Kara Park. It's yeah, it's great. And it would be the same if the Crusaders went to Nelson or Blenheim, etc., etc. Uh, No-brainer, great text. Okay, great text. Thank you very much for that. Um, and I just uh, wonder what you've got on the menu today, Steph. Well, Midday Madness sort of takes care of itself on Monday. So much to talk about, whether it's Warriors, Super Rugby, uh, the Sevens, the T20 Super Over, the great performance of the Indy Cars by the Kiwis as well. So Midday Madness, almost open line, Smithy. Just I want to hear the passion of the people. Uh, straight after one, Andrew Webster, coach of the Warriors, will be joining us, which will be a fascinating chat to see how he got through the Warriors game. You say, what a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Former All Black Steve Gordon and... Uh, 
The Stars goal shoot and captain Maya Wilson will be joining us after three. Okay, uh, it's Mark Stafford this afternoon, folks. Uh, just a final text. Uh, hi, Smitty. The Blues need their captain to be more vocal. There's no leadership. Everyone is playing their own games. Help for rugby's sake. There you go. That's from Neville. So, but a concern up there in the north for the Blues. Terrific show this morning. Thanks to Araha, to Robbie, and to Brian for uh, running the card of putting it all together, guys. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, have a terrific uh, Monday afternoon with Staffy as you continue to review, folks. The weekend that was, and it was a beauty. See you tomorrow.